The Club Championship Show on OTB Sports. Brilliant game of hurling, edge your seat stuff, Tony Kelly, masterclass from start to finish. To win a Connacht Senior Championship is uh, it's special. The Club Championship Show. Subscribe to the GEA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Yeah, top seven. It's Friday morning. It is Jaron Michael Verney with you this morning. Michael, how are you? Good, Jaron. Yourself? Yeah, um, plenty of us to get stuck into. Uh, big clash of games on Sunday afternoon, of course. Yeah, it's mad. We are you in Croker? I am, yeah. Uh, I've got the real sticky wicket, though. I'm covering the first game, which means I'm going to have to go and get quotes after and write up my report during the second game. Right. So I I don't know what like what do you do do you try and you know furiously type and then watch the second half or do you just miss the whole thing There's no way catch I catch it back later Yeah There's no way but like catch it back later when, when you, you know the results when, when you're sitting in Crow Park as yeah. well and you can hear everything going on around you Yeah Yeah Covering the first game is never good I'm I'm a bit down the totem pole you see So <laughs> but uh, yeah it's a pity I don't know what I actually don't know what I'm going to do what way to get around it because there's no way of avoiding the result or whatever. How good a game do you expect the first game to be? Yeah, pretty decent, yeah. Uh, when Cushendall played Thomas's four years ago, they really pushed him. I think Thomas has got a last-minute point, so they were the ancient champions, obviously, to win it. Thomas is a lot better uh, now than they were then. Yeah, it'll be tight enough. Four or five, I'd say, with Thomas is in the wind-up. But, it, yeah, Dunlai beat Schlock Neil, who have been like a pebble in their shoe for a long time now uh, in the Ulster final. But yeah, you'd still be expecting Thomas to come through. Thomas's best performance of this whole run was against Ballyhale last year. And they came through Galway and got their five in a row in Galway. It was tough after a replay with Loch Ray, but they're as good as they've ever been. So, And they have a bit of revenge on their mind. Everyone talks about Ballyhale's revenge this weekend or redemption. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas's definitely have a bit of revenge on their mind as well. Uh, I think everybody tends to write off the Ulster Club hurling champions and then every three or four years one of them produces a performance and reaches the final or wins the whole thing like you know this is not unheralded and I'd say they're licking their lips at the fact that everybody's thinking about the other semi-final and it's going to be Thomas's versus whoever wins that <coughs> uh, yeah it's ten years since Lock Eel won it um, that would have been a surprise uh, there's no point in saying any different we would have had good battles with Dunlai down through the years Schlock Neil have been close to Bally Hale uh, they've been close to Bally Gunner last year as well but if it was Schlock Neil, I'd be more confident maybe of an upset just because they're really seasoned. This is a kind of a new Dunlai team that maybe might need might need this semi-final, but I do expect it to be close. They've got some great players like Keelan Malai, Conal Cunning and the likes are as good of players as in the country and it's great for them to get national exposure and in Crow Park as well. How real is the needle between Ballyhale and Ballygunner? It kind of, it felt like it's, it, it didn't, there was none and then all of a sudden there was some. And the thing is, it, it as as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, everybody's reading everything. And it all seems to matter. <laughs> everything matters because you will literally pick up... Club managers and uh, players will literally take motivation from anywhere they can get it. I, like, I've not been smart. I've been there. A, a look would be enough. A lad throwing you a look in a bar after a game or something would be enough. You, you take anything you can to motivate yourself or have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Uh, if I was Pat Hoban as the Ballyhale Shamrocks manager... I would have maybe told Colin Fenley maybe like maybe say that after if we if we beat them, but like that's the great thing about Colin Fenley. Like so, just for anybody who missed this, yeah, uh, Colin Fenley says that Ballyhale felt like they were somehow slighted in the victory speech last year when Ballygunner scored uh, a now famous mm. last second amazing winning goal, um, and the exact phrase that 
seems to have rankled was we robbed you today or what, what? yeah Barry Coughlin was the their vi- the vice captains last year Barry Coughlin and Philip Manny I don't know if Barry had actually given a speech for either the wins before that I think Philip had given the speeches but um Barry wouldn't have given that many, done that many interviews or even spoke that much and it was quite raw like because it was just like you know it was a victory and he, put, he, he threw an F-bomb in there into the, into the middle of it as well just with the emotion of it all but I actually watched it back earlier on this week I didn't think there was anything disrespectful in there and I was actually chatting the the Ballyhale manager from last year uh, James Joxer O'Connor yesterday and but he said he didn't actually even hear the speech because he was that sick but uh, Colin Fenley obviously heard it um, it's funny because Colin knew he was going away after that game and it didn't look like he was going to be hurling with Bally Hale this year yeah, at, at different stages and he said his hunger was lost but that was obviously something that worked something in the back yeah. of his mind and it's funny because uh, Colin Fenley's going to be marking Barry Cockland well I was going to say like, it ratchets up the pressure on himself yeah prob- <coughs> probably yeah um, he's never been one to shy away from pressure though I no. he was sitting in here and he had a he had a good go at the, the defence forces the week of a game and I think he was man at a match that weekend um, I don't know maybe it spurs him on a bit but the, the Fenley's rawness and his honesty like it's great for the media and he's helped to ratchet this game up a bit more it's almost like the GA went to him and said listen we need a bit of <laughs> it's going to be clashing with the World Cup final we need you to ratchet it up a bit but listen that's the, I'm chatting a couple of couple of buddies back home and they're like you know a couple of interviews that are done after games and Judge Trump has done a few snooker interviews after matches where he's like you know bordering on you know being ignorant but it's like the best raw most raw yes. stuff is in that 5 or 10 minutes when it's you haven't had time to regroup you haven't had time to go back to the changing room you're exhausted. you haven't had time to talk to someone you're exhausted you just like to look at some of Ronnie's interviews after those matches it's just like could, anything could come out yeah. and listen that's good that's good for us sometimes maybe it's bad for him or other people but like that's the I suppose that's the beauty of post-match interviews and post-match quotes and that has teed up this game that was two weeks ago that's teed up this game beautifully um, it is unfortunate about the clash with the World Cup final. I mean, I, I know everybody's like, ah, sure, it is what it is, but like, no, it's not what it is, though. Like, the, it doesn't have to be, does it? It's avoidable to me. Like, we played club semi-finals with Borough where we were playing in one venue at, at three o'clock, would say, and the other game was going on in another venue at three o'clock. You didn't get a chance. There wasn't one before the other, and like that. Traditionally, that's been the way uh, down through the years, maybe up until recently. So it's not, you know, a giant leap of faith to think that one game could be played here, one could be, game could be played there, and nothing clashes with the World Cup final. Listen, everybody that plays hurling, follows hurling, they're probably, they're sports fans, number one. They're GA fans, maybe number one, but they're sports fans, uh, you know, that's at the core of it all. They want, like, it's come round every four years I know it's never going to be probably at Christmas again unless there's some um, shenanigans around a future World Cup or something like that but there's just no need for it to happen and we are dilute the GA are diluting their audience for what is the biggest club game that has been played probably since 2009 since Ballyhale played Portumla and it was Henry against Joe and there's no need for it if you're trying to sell the split season more you give this a billing where it's not clashing with anything else like would a Saturday night have worked uh, could they put it back a week when they realised that okay the World Cup final is going to be that day it looks like there's a clash coming yeah the Camogie's obviously on Saturday so that's got that they have the whole bill on Saturday and that's live on RT as well but there's definitely some way of manoeuvring or moving it around um, I just don't think like I'm going to I well I don't know if I'll get to watch it live but I, I'm going to be there and a lot of other people will be there the Ballyhale people will be there and the Ballygunner people will be there but don't I 
don't feel I don't know why you deny the casual supporter the chance to watch something that they want to watch especially with the salty uh, the extra salt this week but like last year was one of the all time great GA moments it's yeah. like right up there yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. Like Harry Ruddle, like probably previously, and Aaron heard of it. Played intermediate with Bally Gunner that year. I look back at the goal. It's fascinating. And James O'Connor was saying it yesterday. He said, like Owen Cody had a chance to pick the ball. Um, and I think he said Adrian Mullen had a chance to pick the ball Paddy Levy from Ballygunner gets down makes this great pick up under a load of pressure then all of a sudden it just, the move starts moving and just opens up and I looked at it from behind the goals it's fascinating you know you talk about good inside forward you know great at creating space great at creating opportunity for himself Desi Hutchinson just fans out because he knows that his defender is going to come with him and he knows he's going to create space for someone else and that creates space for Harry Ruddle to take a shot from about 30 yards and it was the like the whistle blows when Dean Mason pucks out the ball. That's it. That's it. It's over. And James O'Connor actually said he walked down the line about ten seconds before this, and he said Darrow Sullivan, the Ballygunner manager, had his hands on his head, hands over his face. It was done. And then all of a sudden, James O'Connor is the one in that position. And like it's like Offaly against Kerry in 1982. When do you want to be ahead? Right at the very end. Maybe no other time. And that's exactly what Bally Gunner did and Bally Hale Shamrocks have been waiting 10 months for a crack at them. And it's funny, the shoe is on the other foot now because Bally Gunner are favourites going in Sunday. Bally Gunner are the ones bringing the better form to the table, I'd yeah, say, as well. Yeah. And Joey Holden actually says here, it's silly and naive to say Bally Hale are flying. And they're, they're probably not flying, they're going fine, but expect them to be flying on Sunday. Well, within games they've been great, and within games they've been terrible. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that's kind of been the case. They're, they've built up big leads and they've let, like, Nace got back at them at one stage as well in the game. No, Nace, Nace were leading early doors. Yeah, Nace were behind the half time, and there's no way they should have been. They left behind about 3 4, 3 5 right. in that first half. Uh, so that's one team that got a good run on them and Ballyhale were just about able to stem it back and they took over in the second half Kilmacud got a run on them in the Leinster final and scored 1-7 without reply which is really unheard of really yeah. from an experienced team that are usually able to stem the bleeding somebody goes down somebody does something they just weren't able to and both probably ask questions of Ballyhale in terms of pace and Bally Gunner will definitely ask questions of Bally Hale in terms of pace Alright OTBM live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day here's what's going on between now and 10 o'clock uh, Ron O'Gara is going to join us in 10 minutes time Kevin Caban is going to be live on the line from Qatar at 10 past 8 we've got Alan Quinlan at 8.35 actor Simon Delaney and comedian Owen Colgan are going to join us at 8.55 for their take on the World Cup and Meg Linehan from The Athletic at uh, half past 9 Dennis Ryan has been in touch to say the great Mick Verney all is well with the world happy Christmas everyone and uh, Danny Mack is asking how stubborn are the GA with the switcher I mean look um, they backed themselves into a corner and they didn't move the thing is here, right? Once you fix the fixture, you can't like you look not that you look weak by changing it, but just fix it for another time. <laughs> it, it's not like we're going up against the World Cup. It, nothing, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's when you fix it for the same time, it's almost like they're not going to crawl back or change their view. I just think they could have probably went earlier. Like I don't know. Like would there have been an issue? Maybe there would be an issue with playing a game. You know, playing one game at half twelve and even playing the other potentially at two o'clock or something like that. The World Cup starts at is it half, three. Okay, it's ninety minutes. At least you're given the last sixty minutes or whatever. Because listen, everybody wants to watch whether it's Messi or Mbappe and whether it's going to be Messi's crowning moment. That's just the way it is. Like yeah. Um, the other big GA story is that we now know the details on how much it's going to cost to get GA go and also what games they have. So it's 79 quid if you buy it from January 1st. It's 59 between now and then. And they've got a good slate of games. 
Yeah, they do. Um, it's 59, I think, before the new year. I've already sent it to my sisters and said, listen, this might be a good Christmas present for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they've got a good set of games. I think it's nine hurling uh, and the remainder are football, but a, a good few uh, Munster and Leinster round robin games. Um, listen, it, it does. It looks like, it looks like a good deal, and they've got a brilliant lineup as well. To be fair, uh, Michael Murphy's obviously in there. Marco Shea, Seamus Hickey, uh, Grania McIlwain presenting. Um, it's interesting. That's kind of one of the Sky cohort moving somewhere, and obviously yeah. maybe the pundits maybe haven't kind of moved yet or been seen. Maybe we don't know what the the makeup of the the Sunday game team is going to be next year as well. So that's going to be fascinating over the next while. But I think Larry McCarthy said that we'll. It will kind of wash its face. They probably won't make money, but that they won't lose money. But um, yeah, look, looks like a pretty good setup. I have to say, it's better than you know buying the bulky deal is a lot better than paying ten or twelve quid per game or it's, something. Like it's going to be twelve per game, yeah. and you can get three for two. Uh, or certainly twenty-four, and you'll get three games for that. Um, but obviously, then what they're doing is they're incentivising you to buy the big deal. So very interested to hear what people have to say about that. Whether or not they think it's a good deal, uh, you can get us in our comments. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number or of course you can uh, leave a comment on the YouTube stream and you need to be subscribed uh, from next week if you want to leave a comment on the YouTube stream so just hit subscribe on that um, the other big story last night was the FAI's AGM was on and they were supposed to vote they were Neva Man he's going to be nominated to sit on the board the FAI are miles behind where they need to be when it comes to um, the gender balance on the board if by next year you don't have 40% female membership of your board you're not going to be entitled to state funding which is every all of the sports organisations have known about this um, for a long period of time they're not the only sports organisation in the country by any means who is struggling to meet that last night was supposed to be um, it was the uh, second attempt at an AGM. They had one in the summer. They didn't have enough women. And that was in, in person in the Mansion House. And they were like, oh, look, we'll move this. We won't ask everybody to come up. And with the weather, it looked like a good idea. But then the technology failed. And they couldn't actually have the vote. And um, there was a lot of Jackie Weavers in the comments um, about uh, on the Teams chat. The Teams chat was lit by all accounts. And so a lot of people were having their say at the AGM. And lots of people who you might know, um, board member Tom Browns has uh, reported in the 42 this morning. Still no email. Can you check what email address it was sent to? Grace McCauley Ryan, up to 13 one-time passcodes and still not able to access. John Early, made seven attempts. Ridiculous system. This is a shambles. What a waste, said Martin Connolly from Dundalk FC. Like trying to decipher the Da Vinci code. You're sitting there <laughs> and you're like... The FAI board, this is supposed to be like, oh, it's a good moment for us. Oh, yeah, we just qualified for the Women's World Cup. And then all of a sudden, the story comes out about Vera Powell, and you're like, oh, Jesus. And they still don't have a sponsor for the jersey. Now, they have said that the biggest commercial deal in the history of the organisation is the new kit deal, but no details on that have emerged yet. So we don't know if that's because it's a 10-year deal, and so obviously it's going to be, or is it actually on a per-money basis? Um, that was said after everybody couldn't sign in. Presume that needed to be a saving grace of I some d- kind. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's the bit you get out of the first. Because like, uh, um, Nixon Morton, uh, this process is totally discredited in the interest of democracy and fair play. This vote must be declared invalid and redone properly at a later date. So uh, all a bit of um, uh, Martin Connolly. Can you respond to something, <laughs> Roy, Jerry? Step in here. This is a nonsense. At Gary Keller of St. Pat's, like so, you know, it uh, it obviously was not seamless. 
Uh, definitely not. No. Um, ah, listen, that's the. It's just the last thing they need. It's the last bit of PR they need as well. They don't need any of that at this moment in time. It's mad to think that they thought it was okay to fix it for a week before Christmas as well. You know, it was always going to be messy. Whatever about the roads and travel and things like that. Time-wise, it was always going to be messy. Surely, early December or early New Year or whatever it is. I think I I think it's okay if it's going to be virtual and you tell everybody like this because it's supposed to just be a rubber stamp. Yeah. Well, this is the crack. This is the crack. This is the crack. Uh, we we have somebody. Everybody's as kind of knows what the. It's like supposed to be straightforward, and then the technology fails. It surely should be in person at this stage, though. When we've been denied of that for so long, you go back that, and you just build up those relationships again. And not not been smart. You've been in rooms where you know it's me and you here, and we're talking something. You've been in another room where it's you talking to me and whatever. Like, and I, you know, I take Can't this. Every, I take yeah. this every day of the week. Yeah. You need to. Like look into someone's eyes almost as well when you're making decisions or you know there's a trust and a loyalty thing as well to it as well particularly in uh, any sports organisation where we all know that there are little cliques and little factions and uh, and I'm not I'm not uh, holding the FAI alone in that, that that's, uh, oh, that's everywhere oh it's GM like not been smart you're, you're just saying I'm proposing something you can see what people think by their eyes whereas in a laptop you know someone could be muted or the video could be turned off or whatever when they're, when they're looking at their feet and you're like oh, we talked about this earlier <laughs> Yeah, or, you know, they were supposed to vote for you or something like that. They were supposed to second something and then all of a sudden they went missing, yeah. Yeah. But give me that in-person thing. Oh, you, you know you know much more about it. Uh, the other thing is, um, great piece from today, Kazan, in your paper today. Uh, she's talking about um, body shaming and she has, like, she's, um, so the Vera Pau thing, right? The FAI obviously came out fully in support of Vera Pau without saying, they did say that they're going to do a bit more uh, reading on it, but not really. Like they've kind of they've made their bed now, and uh, it's very much in support of Vera Pau. And they went much further than I thought they would do um, without us actually having heard from Vera herself. If you remember, like Vera Pau got lots of credit for immediately coming out after Ua Obdara to face down and do. She did every interview in the aftermath of that, like every interview, but she hasn't done any yet. Now, as far as I know, she's going to be the Manager of the Year at the RT Sports Awards. That's the, the, the speculation. So, obviously, this is supposed to be the crowning week of the year, you know. Um, Ian Dempsey's doing a poll this morning. What's the best sports moment of the year? And it's Ireland qualifying for the World Cup. So, you, know, you can understand why the FAI just want to ride the wave of that. Like, this is a really positive story and it's great. But um, Sinead Kassan is... Uh, she's at it this morning. You should read it in the Irish Independent. There are a few suggestions on social media that the above claims are much ado about nothing. But any manager who tries to control or who tries to body shame a player is another way of trying to control them when the balance of power is already with the manager. Body shaming prioritizes stereotypes over the most suitable and healthy weight any individual should be allowed to perform at. She's got her own experience that she speaks about as an athlete at the start and then goes on to talk about um, uh, the Tyler Tolan situation. It would also seem she demonstrated an abrasive side when dealing with teenager Tyler Toland and her exclusion from the national team a few years ago. Toland's father, Morris, told journalist Chris McNulty, Vera told Tyler she looked too leggy, that her legs had got 10 centimetres bigger since she moved to Manchester City and suggested she would pick up an ACL injury by the second week in November if she maintained the training she was doing. Sinead Kazan says then, if this is said with an in-depth knowledge of Toland's physiological makeup and an encouraging and supporting environment for a teenager, that's one thing. If this is said in an off-the-cuff manner which could undermine, belittle and damage a player's confidence, that's another. And here's the thing. The FBI needs to just make sure that uh, it's, not the, it's not the controlling, that it's actually um, encouraging because um, we haven't seen Tyler Toland since. You know, and that's like... Um, we, we don't, as a country, have resources where players can be like, you know, 
cast aside because they don't fit some preordained notion. We have to work with those players, encourage them and get them to a position where they're able to uh, represent us on the international stage. Yeah, whatever resources we have, we have to carefully mind them and make sure that we, you know, even if it's a longer term with someone and you've given them a bit of time away to, you know, do whatever they need to do, you need to, you need to make sure we're not casting anybody aside, you know. This uh, just kind of, you know that scene in Casino, Robert De Niro's character where he's like, Weighing the dancers and all this kind of thing, like you know, this thing, it's just you need to be so careful, uh, particularly like nowadays. Uh, I, was only, I only watched back on the RT player there recently the the documentary they did about uh, you know some men with different dece- eating disorders, which is not you know something that's generally not spoken about, and inside the mind of somebody like that like if, if if you've any like preconceived notion of like watching your food or anything like that comments can be so damning and it just flies through your head and it just doesn't go away whereas like you know some people would just look at food and they just eat it or whatever other people are looking at the effects it's going to have on them so you have to be so careful uh, with regards to how you um, converse with people on topics like this Yeah so we, we do expect to hear from Vera Pau over the next uh, 24, 48 hours or so and it's important she comes out and addresses it because I, I do think that if she came out and said yeah I, I did wrong then I've learned a lot from it I've taken on board some of the criticism I'm going to change everybody would be like okay that's fair enough Whereas actually, by saying nothing and by, by like maybe the FAI have done the right thing, they're like, no, 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 it's, it's totally fine. What are you talking about? They did say this is historical. It's 2018. Like, yeah. I mean, 2018 does not feel historical to me. Feels very, like, recent. Yeah, well, as, as well as that, if she came out and said something like that, like, you've probably been involved with different things where your opinion of something four years ago change, has changed completely and you're like... I often think about when I was managing and coaching what I would have done 10 years ago compared to what I do now completely different like I remember making I, we got beaten in a match one time I was over the under 21s and you know, I think I called all the lads failures or something like that this, like it, that's just what I thought was good for motivating them at the time and listen it worked because we <laughs> went back to the back door and ended up getting to a county final but like would I ever dream of saying anything like that now no way so your mindset and your views on things changes so much so I think if she were to come out and you know explain that you know mea culpa yeah and my views on this has changed completely in the you know the four years since yeah we need something all right so we'll keep an eye on the Vera Power situation at uh, seven fifty two this morning though we're saying good morning to Ronan O'Gar Ronan good morning to you how are you Jar good I had the sniffles like you a few days ago but I've beaten it within forty eight hours so I'm quite happy that I'm not using boxes of tissues for the last. Uh, <laughs> Uh, a few days. I was hoping nobody'd seen that, Ronan. But thanks very much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can hear it very, very succinctly in your voice. It's all Thank over you. the place. It's general all over Ireland at the moment. Um, but uh, so the this is like from a how, first off, how the hell did you beat it in forty eight hours? And secondly, the French team, the rugby, the footballers apparently have a virus ripping through them at the moment. So this is obviously something that like we're kind of people missing work. They're coming in, breathing over each other. But for you, you could have suddenly half a team gone. Yeah, but I suppose once we've had COVID um, experience, sure, everything is easy now. Fair enough. <laughs> in, term, in terms of flus, in terms of illness, in terms of obviously when it comes to, um, you know, I mean, because one in 70, whatever, so there's always going to be the, the really uh, sad illnesses that we uh, struggle to find cures for, like Daddy Weir or Ed Slater or. And then there's uh, less, I suppose, um, 
serious illnesses and the fact, but like once colds and flus and stuff, uh, there's a great show. The show goes on, you're not missed. No, no matter who you are as a player uh, or as a coach, everyone is very replaceable. It, it, it rolls. The monster keeps rolling. And I firmly believe that. I just think that sometimes whether you're the coach or the player, they put a huge value on them. But, um, you know, I think... As uh, I remember that when with Monster playing, uh, you know I mean our best player Paul O'Connell was was um, was out for the whole European. Uh, I think in 06 or 08, uh, uh, it would have been 08. I think uh, he missed all the pool stages, and we won six out of six. You know, while just listening to the mindset discussion before, like we would have said, "Oh no, we're in trouble here." But if you change it a little bit and tweak it a little bit, um, so the show goes on, put someone in there, fill him with confidence, and he can do the job, you know. So, um, with uh, yeah, flus and colds, um, you know, unless it's something sinister, usually I suppose with the metabolisms of sports people, they can they can knock it quicker. Uh, it's interesting you talk about the mindset, right? Because I was thinking, um, this week obviously you're, you're playing Ulster. Uh, I don't know if you're an NFL fan or not but the Dallas Cowboys played uh, the Houston Texans last week the previous week Dallas had scored 50 and Houston are literally the worst team in the NFL at the moment and so everybody had just kind of blah 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 that's going to be a win for them it's going to be really, really straightforward but uh, they, they needed a 98 yard drive in the last minute to win the game to squeak the win the Cowboys and OK good so there is a happy ending to, my, to the story that's yeah. but, to my weekend but the, the, <laughs> okay. the, the coach was saying before the match you know we've got two opponents this week uh, we've got Houston and the, the man in the mirror and then afterwards everyone was like well, you know maybe uh, that was you were over egging the whole complacency thing too much I don't know I, so we, we know so basically I, I understand if you're complacent this week the uh, it's a disaster it, you just can't you know, in rugby in particular. No, because it's such a fascinating topic. You know, the the I suppose the big difference between good and great players is just here. Uh, but you have to multiply that by twenty three, and some people um, prepare differently, and after a victory are different. But I, I would say complacency is is way too strong. There's a difference between complacent and on, on edge. And how you can find that balance for me is where you become consistently good. And I haven't found it because we have shown glimpses of world-class uh, moments for seconds and then absolute Division 3 stuff. And you're like, oh, come on, boys. Let's let's try and get a, get a little bit more consistent in what we're doing because, you know, it's obviously... Very nicely scripted this weekend. Ulster take 39 points and sail nil for the first time. There's a monster coach bringing over a French team. French teams are brittle, but, um, you know, that's not us. So I think what's been good this week is that we're aware of that Ulster will be at their best and will be different. But I think if we're at our best, I think um, we hopefully have, have enough for them. Ronan, it's not your job to like keep the players like level, I suppose, and focus. But uh, you want that to be inherently in them, and you want them to, you know, not let complacency slip in or anything like that, and keep their, you know, keep the the train on the track, shall we say? But as a manager, do you have any sounding board that you use to make sure that you don't dip at all? If you get me, because you're the one that's yeah. steering the ship. 
Yeah, I do exactly. I, I, and it's 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 the most important because you mean whoever the leader is in any organisation, and essentially is only one because if he doesn't jump out, then it's not clear who the leader is. So, yeah, when you're like the managing of energy is very important for me, and I'm and I'm I'm seeing that because I'm probably trying to have a look at how I can structure my week better because we play Saturday night with a with the focal point of I suppose how we're judged. Then Sunday is review, Monday is review preview, Tuesday is execute, and by Tuesday lunchtime essentially you're just call, calling out for the bed or the coach or um, something to help you because uh, from um, Tuesday lunchtime to Wednesday you can come up for air for the first time, but you're kind of on a little bit of age. Friday with captains run, Saturday's game day, so there's nervous energy there. Sunday you're your wife, but your video and and, and analyzing everything. Monday, you're looking at what you need to keep and remove, and have a look at the opposition. Then Tuesday, you're trying to do that with, well, in our case, the same group really for the first time this season after twelve league games because we always change the team for the league game. But for Europe, you don't. You kind of go as strong as you can to a certain point without risking injuries. Um, but yeah, like we'd have a a mental skills coach for, for the group, for me. Um, but it's uh, it's an area definitely that um, that I'm looking into because I think um, there may be a better way of doing my week. What do you do with the mental skills coach? Uh, so you kind of, I suppose, make a plan for for my preparation, for the team's preparation, for his preparation. And... Then, I suppose, strip it back and kind of go, okay, so the uh, person who's the weakest at taking in information in this group, how can we present to them? And remember, Joe, you're you're doing it in French and English, so essentially rugby for dummies. Uh, But like that for me is how you become good because if you can explain it and the person can tell you back, what I have just explained to him, then we're in a good place to start. Then we go onto the pitch and have a look to see what we're saying. Does it make sense on the pitch? And then we review it. And then hopefully repetitions one to four, we make errors. Four to eight, we get a bit of speed in it. And hopefully by eight to ten, we can score tries at the weekend from it. Um, And then with that, you have um, obviously... um, how, how they feel you know what I mean if I think the move is good that's really not too interesting for them because they're the guys essentially pulling the trigger with the ball um, but there is I suppose a lot of moving pieces quickly and everyone thinks you have a lot of time in the week but there's enough time to get I suppose what you prioritise because we can't prioritise everything and um, just in different languages it, it's 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 uh, it's frustrating yet hugely rewarding so uh, the bit that you're doing with the mental skills coach for yourself is like a kind of trial conversation about the message that you want to deliver while at the same time uh, asking if you're managing your own time correctly so there's a kind of twin yeah no like I suppose the bigger picture Joe would be there is that so early in a project, I feel you you cheat a lot of steps 
to go to Marseille to win a European Cup, yet when you strip it back and analyse, you understand that uh, a lot of that was built on sand. That isn't a good recipe, you know? So I think once you realise that you got lucky, but maybe the plan was good, but you have to have really strong fundamentals. And... Uh, there wouldn't be really strong fundamentals in the club yet, but that's something that I hope my legacy will be. So that's very important to me that there are building blocks put in place to make sure that we can progress. Because what has happened in the past is that uh, auto-delete was very evident in players' minds. So play the game and by Sunday night, wipe. And you're like, OK, well, I thought we saw that last week. Oh no, okay, we need to rep that again today. <laughs> we need to rep that again today. We need to rep that again today. Uh, but how do we grow? Uh, uh, and then you don't want to make them feel robotic. You don't want to make it feel like it's a job. You want them to laugh. You want them to have fun. You want them to come into a building where it doesn't feel like work. So uh, you got to understand too that you mean from... Irish people are very similar, but you come to a French club and you've Africans, you've Georgians, you've uh, Fijians, Samoans, Tongans, French, Australians, South Africans, all nationalities of the world where they their humour is very different to our humour and how they see the world is very different. But that's not to say theirs is better or ours is better, but you got to accommodate that and you got to, I suppose, understand that and mixing that all into the melting pot becomes... Uh, a fascinating um, environment and uh, you want this place in in La Rochelle to be uh, a place where boys want to come and they can express themselves. We've Raymond Rule who dances around, Teddy Tama who thinks he's a DJ. We have a lot of this, but if they're good at rugby too, but let them be who they are as opposed to coming in and um, thinking it's a school environment. That's not my gig. Because Michael was talking about his under, under twenty one team, where he called them failures and uh, and and learning, you know, going on. That. <laughs> I, I'd love to hear that real story over a pint. I think that could take forty five minutes. And yeah, there's there's a bit I, in it, all right, uh, definitely. Uh, just on that as well about dealing with different personalities. Uh, like no matter what you say, like it's not a one for all job. Like everybody is different, and you can't treat everybody the same. Would I be right in saying? Because if you treat everybody the same, then you're basically looking for the, all the same type of characters within a team and you won't win anything with all the same type of characters, really. You need, you know, you need to be dipping in, taking different pieces from, you know what I mean? Like, is, would, I be right, yeah. would I be right in saying that? Yeah, I, I, and, yeah, not to cut across you, but for me, I would flip it on its head and I'd go, everyone is different. So for me, there is n- there's not two people the same in a group of 40. And for me, that's very, very important in, in how I go about. So people are understanding what's the program for the group and and they're kind of looking at me, what is this guy on about? Where's the program? Where, Why haven't I received the planning? Because every single person, even though it's a team sport, is completely different, is managed completely different. There's no, this group are doing this because everyone's minutes are different. Everyone's injury profile is different. Everyone's... You mean rest, sleeping patterns, um, capacity to, you know, I mean, some guys uh, need to keep their weight up. Some guys need to lose. Every single person is different. So for me, that was one thing uh, that I've realized since I became, I suppose, the manager that 
uh, there's there's no none of this groups of yeah these guys do that that and that every single one of the forty and as important as Will Skelton is, he's as important as my third choice hooker. When you're talking about um, stuff being built on sand and trying to get the fundamentals right, you, you kind of reached it seems first for playing style and, and making sure that um, and then that, that evolved into making sure they have fun as well so what you're talking about really is like four or five key pillars where the environment is correct the culture is correct but then if, if it's not to be built on sand your recruitment has to be amazing like that's the the key part that ultimately you're only going to be as good as the players you recruit and everything kind of everything is a little bit of everything yeah no I challenge you there Ger. I think the academy is more important than the recruitment that was the strength of Munster. Local boys with quality imports, Jim Williams, John Langford, Howlett, uh, Topoki, these guys, but built around uh, 12 really, really good players from Munster. The same for what you're trying to do here, but it's harder now because we probably, uh, I'll give you the example, in the 12 position, we'd have... Uh, Jonathan Dante 12 for France Lavinia Bhatia 12 captain of Fiji and then probably Jules Favre in the training group for France so that's 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 a high standard so but a young guy can't see the route for him to progress and he's right but you have to try and explain to him that if he gets I suppose his first two years right in the academy and his passing game and his body is in in, in top nick. There's a there's uh, a route for him, but you can't cheat the early years. You got to get in those, um, as you say, fundamentals into the player. But what's more important than that is you have to have the fundamentals in the in the in the environment and uh, the pitch. For me, is easy, Ger. It's 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 the um, it's the person before that. What kind of people are you looking to get into the building to work with uh, before you even even approach the tactical side of the game? So the academy is obviously a pillar as well. It is, but it's a pillar with uh, 20 years behind the Leinster uh, Academy, for example, you know? Yeah. But that's okay too. This is, this is, only, this is only starting, you know? Uh, I suppose what is really exciting about the French competition is that um, the top 14 has such history and prestige that uh, there's a huge uh, incentive for every single club to win it, supported by whatever, over 70 million people. So that buzz will always be there. There's most definitely, I suppose, with the new format, question marks over Europe and the... Um, the new, I suppose, format is that going to appeal to the French people? I'm not too sure. Yeah, the new format. Um, we can talk about that again some other time. I did want to bring up one last thing in the paper this morning. You're talking about your uh, dream scenario of penalty takers. Myself and Michael were having a bit of a debate about. So uh, you you went with Farrell last, right? And uh, and you you picked yourself third. No, no, I didn't. I, well, I was hoping I didn't. I wasn't meant to pick myself because that's well, you, were, you left it. You left it like, oh, I'm looking for somebody to fill fill in third. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I just well, I suppose the Neymar situation, isn't it? Like, why does he wait till last? You know. Well, yeah. In my in my in my in my thinking, so it was Neil Jenkins. I think to kick it off. Then 
You can put Dan Carter either side. Um, I can kick. Who was fourth? Johnny Wilkinson was second. So Johnny Car- Wilkinson. Car- Carter must have been fourth. So I was just interested that you picked yourself third, though. Uh, you know, uh, like <laughs> that's the pressure one. That's the key one. Fucking <laughs> damn right it is. <laughs> that's what we love, Joe. That's placed ball. I just, uh, I just. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the World Cup has been so good in soccer, but it, it shouldn't be because of where it was played. But like the big focus has been on the, as we started the conversation with the the the, the, the top few inches of the hedge, because um, for me, it says so much about uh, the character when it becomes to the, uh, a close skill. Yeah, but it, it, it. I thought it was really. I thought it was interesting. You, uh, you when you got the chance to pick, went third, right? Neymar when he got the chance to pick, went fifth when it didn't matter in the end. Turns out maybe the third one is the is the pivotal one because that gives everybody. You're still in it. You, you know, your chance. Or is the first one the pivotal one? Like you, it's the same as. You mean how many teams that? Um, you mean that score the first or missed the first go on to win. I presume the odds are completely reduced. So you need, you need a guy with big balls shown the way. I mean, it turns out then this isn't a, uh, there's no answer to this. Come here, where's the game going to be tomorrow? Do you know? No, we don't know. We're waiting a decision, um, hopefully by two o'clock, we're due to fly. But I think for whatever reason, we have to go into Belfast, which, but, the bus journey to to um, to the RDS may compensate the fact that it's not in uh, the Kingspan <laughs> if, if that's how it plays out. So don't feel too sorry for us if it's in the RDS, but I presume it's in the Kingspan. All the Leinster fans coming out to, to uh, cheer La Rochelle. Is that what you? That that's going to happen? Well, yeah, and the good news too that there's a direct flight from from Cork to La Rochelle since yesterday so we need to celebrate that as well were, so, you, were, 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 were you personally involved in that like lobbying hard <laughs> no. Um, no no I wasn't because there's an up and a downside to that that means there's more people to host <laughs> <laughs> you're not supposed to say that bit on air <laughs> Rona good stuff enjoy the weekend cheers cheers you too good cheers lads thanks bye bye <laughs> Larishel's great. I don't know if you've been. Never been. No. I tell you what's fascinating. I love how, like Ronan would say himself, there he went from like running away from pressure almost to like loving pressure to thriving on pressure. And that's I'd love to chat him even more about, about that even and how he passes his own experience on to players because like you're kind of raw enough and naive enough until something happens in your career like happened with him when he missed all the kicks in the, in the cup final and then all of a sudden you go back into your shell but then he was able to deal with it build himself up and now you know give me that pressure hand it to me I you know I thrive on it now and I think that's fascinating um, where do you want to take a penalty if you're like the if you are the place kicker or if you are the free taker Oh, you're number one, I think, yeah. Do you? I think you set the tone, yeah. Right. Yeah, if you're number... Like, I put it to you this way. If there's a penalty in a match, you're the one that's taking it, so you're going to be the first up. So yeah. I think you should be first up. You should definitely be definitely be making sure that you're getting a penalty. Well, and, it, I mean, not that, fifth. That's why I think the third one is, is quite pivotal, because you're still guaranteed to be in it 
no matter what has happened up to that point. So if, if two people have missed, you can't lose the penalty shootout and the third penalty. You can keep your team in it when the pressure's at its absolute most. Yeah, the the first one sets the tone, but it's not potentially a knockout penalty. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get you. Yeah, no, I get you. It's just, it's gas to think Well, it's just, he picked himself third. That was interesting, I thought. You know. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't seem to. He didn't seem to think. He thought the first one was uh, the know, most yeah, important. Like but <laughs> I do think that the third one is kind of like: Are you going to go through, or are you not going to go through? Putting yourself down five and the potential to not take a kick. Yeah, I, I I'll never get my head around that one. I was going to say we won't bring this up with Kevin Caban, given uh, history, but actually we will. We will because he's up next. It's eight fourteen uh, during the ad break. You're going to hear a clip from the OTB Games Room with Eric Donovan in partnership with Virgin Media. Bring your A game with 99.9% broadband reliability. Kev in Qatar next. OTB AM. Right, 16 minutes past eight. Time for us to head to uh, Qatar for the last time, I think, with uh, Kev. Kevin Caban, good morning to you. Oh, he's back on Monday, obviously. But how are you? Good morning, Jay. I don't, I don't normally get you on Friday. What, what, what's happening here? Well, um, the the school show was on today, and so I had to switch with Adrian Barry, and it suited him. Ah. So yeah, um, well, yeah, everything's got to suit Adrian, hasn't it? Between ten thirty and two o'clock today, I'll be watching the same set of carols being sung by five different classes. <laughs> it's very exciting. <laughs> it's got to be done. It has to be done. It, it absolutely, <laughs> it absolutely has to be done. And apparently, you're not allowed to bring a hip flask. It's frowned upon. Oh, really? Is that right? Yeah, I don't know. It's the only thing. The only thing. That, look, it's great. They're, they're they're all excellent, and they've all been working really hard for uh, a long period of time. And I'm very excited about we're it. Controlling the control buttons to just focus on the process. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're showing up. You can't you can't contain your emotions right now, then, eh? No. Um, right. So look, we have we we had some quick fire stuff that we wanted to uh, get through, and then I do want to talk to you about some trends and any lessons for Ireland from uh, what we've seen over the last while. So, best player of the tournament, outside the obvious. Obviously, outside Messi and um, Sorry, and best, Mbappe, then we're looking at our best goal was the first one, not best player. I misread it. Best goal, yeah. You've gone for Chavez. Best goal. I mean, do you know what the, the reason why I went for Chavez was technically as 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 a free kick. It's one of the best free kicks you'll you'll, you'll see, and uh, I love a free kick. I've heard I've heard some of you guys been on over the last week or so that their free kick doesn't count, but technically unbelievable goal and you know you've got the, the probably if I, if I really think about it the goal for one moment which could have been a great moment the Neymar goal against Croatia in oh, that yeah. quarter final as a team goal was just unbelievable even the Vegas goal late on against um against Argentina the way that, that that came about for one moment unbelievable Sterling's goal Abubakar's chip but Abubakar's scoop he would never ever have done that even the Richarlison's one um Richarlison's one was it, it wasn't a great touch and he had to sort his feet out so to finish it was a great finish and I'm not can't take anything away on that moment that stage but I think technically um, Chavez free kick was was absolutely perfect um, I, I think a free kick counts by the way I think you're it's, it's a Joe who uh, has the yeah of course it's Joe isn't it you know, do you know what Joe's like that was his theory I, I think that like it actually counts more because it, you've you've got the uh, oh, this is a big moment. I'm thinking about this now. Everybody's watching, as opposed to right balls in the air. I need to do the thing that comes instinctively. So you've gone for Messi as player. Uh, the story, the final isn't written yet. Are we tempting fate, or does it? Yeah. Um. Well, it, it, I think I, I don't. I don't think it tarnishes his legacy in any way, win or lose. I don't think that that's going to be the thing. But um, I, 
I genuinely hope he does win. I think most football fans hope he does win just for, for everything that he's given us over the last 15, 20 years. If it's his last game playing for Argentina, then so be it. I think, I think certainly he can retire happy, can't, can't he, off the back of a, of a big win. But um, I, I think man for man, French are, the French are a better side. And I think, I just think France are going to win the game, Jerry. I just look at the side and, I mean, I was listening to you just before, actually, when you were talking to Ron O'Gara, there's a virus running through the side. Um, that, that could that could be a key a key thing with it. If they're not fully fit, they're not right, that, that could be, that could play into Argentina's hands. But um, if you'd have to say, honestly, I'd say the player of the tournament is Messi, just what he's done single-handedly. But, Antoine Griezmann has to be right up there with him. Antoine Griezmann, every single game from the first game against Australia has been, he's just been brilliant every single match he's played in. So I think Griezmann certainly can give Mbappe and um, and uh, Messi a run for the money. Can I just ask you quick, quickly about Griezmann, Kev? Uh, he's kind of reinvented himself, would it be fair to say? Like he's playing a completely yeah. different role now and he, he's back clearing balls off the line. He's, you know, orchestrating more than finishing now. It's fascinating how, uh, I suppose, is that because of the surplus of attacking players that they had that they needed and maybe a deficit in the middle of the park that they needed someone who was going to create maybe more than they had the finishers already? Yeah, I, I, do you know what, Michael, as well? Maybe a little bit of... He's got to compensate a little bit for uh, for Mbappe. Mbappe's work rate of getting back into the side, it, it's not always going to be there. So Mbappe, sorry, Griezmann seems to be doing a bit of the work for for uh, for Mbappe. He's playing as a ten, although you'll see him in in the six role at times. He'll be sat in front of the back four. He'll be taking the ball off the defenders. He'll be he'll be trying to almost dictate the run of play and uh, dictate the tempo of a game. So you'll see him working back. You'll see him clearing balls out of the eighteen yard box, and you'll see him then sprinting forward to get on the end of things. So I think creativity wise, you know, I mean the, the first goal. Um, that France scored the other night against uh, against Morocco. If if you watch it from from the tactical cam and you see his movement in the build up to that goal, and when France was shifting the ball from left to right and coming back on itself, he must have made about four or five different runs, just little runs, and one little subtle movement opened up Morocco because it just left too big a gap between the the, the left wing back and the left centre half. The ball was then easily slotted down the outside, and the game just opened up in that one movement and. Um, in that one moment, shall I say? So it's it's so it's so um, it's such fine margins when you get to you know that type of game, that semi final, like it was because Morocco weren't really going to shift, they weren't really going to budge, and it was Griezmann that opened up the game with just movement. It wasn't necessarily being on the ball that actually that, that actually created that goal. So I think the cleverness of his runs. You say reinventing himself. I just think, honestly, I just think he's had a, a, an unbelievable desire to be involved in everything that France have done, and I think that's basically been the key to it. Playing as a ten, I think, has helped him. We've seen him play off the right hand side for France and Atletico and Barcelona and things over the years. I just think the number ten role suits him because he's literally been instrumental in everything that, that France have done. Yeah, and Deschamps has to get some of the credit here. Like when you think back to how he turned Pogba into somebody who was completely consistent, very reliable, did exactly yeah. what he was supposed to do, 100% a team player four years ago. Then all of a sudden, his first choice out of midfield gets ripped out because of injury. And it's like, no, I can fix this, no problems. And Griezmann's going to yeah, be my I solution. That, like, I think, I, do you know what, Jerry? I think that's exactly what it is as well. Like, um, Shumeni that's been playing and doing, he's doing well, I have to say that, he's doing well, but. He's not nowhere near on the level of of, of Kante. When you watch the, the when you watch what Kante brought to that French side, he's not at that level. I don't think you know. I don't think he's great on the ball. I think that's going to improve with, with time when he's playing at, at Real Madrid as well. But Griezmann, has, I, I think he's probably just taken that responsibility. I think he's thirty one now. Maybe 
there could be a feeling within him this is my last real chance of, of a World Cup and and it's now or never with him and uh, I think this has definitely been Griezmann's best tournament he was brilliant at 2016 in, in the Euros but I think he's taken his game onto a new level here uh, So a most underwhelming player of the tournament uh, oh, that has to be Kevin De Bruyne doesn't it um, I think Belgium so, so, so underwhelming as a, as a team coming into the tournament everyone talking about this being the last chance but with De Bruyne in the side, I think everybody just thinks, well, something could happen. They, they might do something special in, in in any game. And I watched them. I watched them live against uh, against uh, Canada in the first game, and he just he, he just wasn't himself. Now, obviously, clearly it, there's been issues within that camp. Clearly, there's something wrong. But um, watching Kevin De Bruyne, I think it was probably the worst performance I've ever seen him have. Watching him live. Um, I mean, he might not necessarily say that himself, but I, I, I just was watching him giving the ball away. I was watching his first touch wasn't quite right. He just he, mentally, he probably wasn't in the right headspace, and uh, that showed. So, it, 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 in my opinion, it would have to be De Bruyne. Yeah. Can he recover from that and play really well for City? Is it, is it going to be like a release back into the warm embrace of Pep Guardiola and everything's going to be fine? Yeah. Or is this just the natural arc of a footballer? You reach very high heights, and then at some point. You stop being as good as you were. He, he has to. He has to get back to the, the De Bruyne that we, we've seen, Joe, doesn't he? Because it, the level that he was at coming into the tournament was as good as he's been. So I, I, that was the, the most surprising thing. We were looking at it. He was still scoring. He was still creating this season. The relationship that he's got with Haaland. I, I just probably feel that there was something wrong. There was something wrong in that camp and. I don't necessarily see that he's reached a, reached a peak or anything at the moment because he's only thirty one. Like I'm, uh, you know, it's too early for me to be writing him off. Yeah, you already have. Yeah, maybe. there you go. <laughs> yeah, but I'm. Are you, are you, so you're writing him off. So that's it. De Bruyne is I'm, gone. Is I'm that, rolling that, back. Is that the headline? I'm rolling yeah. back. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> De Bruyne I've is learned. Gone, that's it. He's done. He's done. He's done. Then all right. He's no longer a failure. <laughs> uh, your favourite match was um, Holland-Argentina like it was uh, so Holland-Argentina has obviously given us some incredible ends to matches you know Dennis Bergkamp yeah. Dennis Bergkamp Dennis Bergkamp and uh, yeah. here we go again like it, you know it couldn't possibly be better than that and then it ends up being much better than that even yeah the, the game let's be honest probably the first half was, was, was crap wasn't it and even maybe 60 minutes whatever it was but I, I think that last 20 minutes of the game or whatever it is that will just take our judgement over everything if you're looking at one individual match it wasn't the greatest of games but by God that that last you, you, you were literally on the end of the edge of your seat when you were watching it you were jumping down you, the emotions throughout it was such a great game to watch it was amazing Paddy Barkley got a grief on Twitter during the week I think I'm fairly sure it was him for saying um, everybody was calling for FIFA to let the game flow and now it's costing loads of really good players opportunities because of injury yeah. and uh, there's, a, there's a general shithousery is being accepted like uh, all the way through to Emmy Martinez basically saying the game is corrupt and not getting banned I was amazed yeah. that they did nothing because Emmy Martinez I don't know if you've seen the interview right but the interview was like it was a really I great did, game yeah. Yeah, but like you're, you know you've just qualified and you were amazing he's like yeah but I do want to talk about the referee and that shower over there and I was like this is unbelievable <laughs> I know but th th that happened a few times with referees I mean the referee standard up to maybe the quarterfinals was actually really good there was no issues no real issues a couple of maybe issues with VAR earlier on I think you know remember the Harry Maguire incident against, against Iran when it was clearly a penalty when he was getting wrestled to the ground and there was no pen given 
And then they give a round of penalty late on in that game. It was almost as if someone had spoke to VAR during running and said, look, you're going to have to sort this out. And they kind of corrected themselves and give a penalty for a shirt tug, whatever it was. And everything went okay. There was a couple of decisions that VAR maybe called referees back that shouldn't have been. But by and large, it was okay. And then we hit the quarterfinals and I'm sure the message to referees, I'm sure it probably comes from the top, as you say, let the games flow. Let's not be giving yellow cards out early. And um, and then all of a sudden, this the referees were a joke. The, some of the decisions they were, they were doing, they, they'd lost control of games. But honestly, it was like a throwback. It was a spectacle in itself, watching all these players losing their heads. And then we got to the stage where, as you say, Martinez and a couple of players did interviews just to say that, look, that referee should not be touching a game now. He should not be anywhere near it. So it's, uh, it, it, was, it was funny. It was funny watching the, the progression of referees in this tournament and th- that went full circle, making terrible decisions that were corrected almost in running. Then we came back to, to where we are now. So I think, is it, I think the Polish referee got the, got the final, I think, Joe, wasn't it? I think it's the Polish referee that's got the final. And I was surprised he got it because there was talk of the MLS ref getting it simply because he, he was a CONCACAF ref and they were quite pleased, I think, FIFA, the way that he was handling games. But I think it makes more sense to have the Polish ref who's refereed at a, a, a real elite level. I wouldn't want an MLS ref doing, doing, a, cha- doing a, a World Cup final. So um, there'll be a bit of pressure on him. And we'll... Argentina then be calling him out as a European ref. He's got bias towards France or whatever it will be. So it was a big call maybe by FIFA giving him the game, but uh, I'll see how that goes, John. I'm going to laugh and see what's going to happen with these um, Argentina Argentina lads because anything can happen with those guys. Um, you've, you've told us your prediction is France. It, it feels like France are a far superior team and under normal circumstances would be quite heavy favourites. In, in a little bit kind of similar to what it was against Croatia, uh, four years ago but anytime I say that to people they keep making the case yeah but Argentina have actually got better game on game they they look much better yeah. as the tournament has progressed and that's a very powerful thing as well yeah but Jerry I, I, honestly if you, if you really watch the games they haven't been great and so many of the midfield players just literally get, like passing the ball out of play you know we're, we're doing the island games Jerry so often and you're like looking at our midfield players and we're going like Take the ball. No one's taking the ball. They're not turning. They're not taking uh, across the shoulder. They're not switching play. And Argentina midfield players, DePaul and one or two others maybe in there, they're just making so many fundamental errors, giving the ball away. So, and everything's just relying on Messi just producing something. So, yes, they've got better as a team, but I just think they've become more solid as a team. I mean, Otamendi playing at the back for them. Who would have thought Nicolas Otamendi... We've seen him over the years being this rash defender, you know, getting tight with, with attacking players, getting caught out of position. And Otamendi's been brilliant. He's been outstanding throughout the tournament. So I don't think they've got I don't think they've got a great team. I don't think they've got great individual players, but they're coming together for maybe one goal, one purpose or whatever you want to say. And yeah. If, they, if, if they're going to win it, it, it'll be messy, won't it? From an Ireland perspective, uh, we obviously like to stick on our green glasses. Um, what's your instinct about... The, the countries that have put a plan in place, uh, adapted and adopted that plan and are making progress. Are there lessons to be drawn from our perspective? Yeah, I, th- I think there are. Of course, there's, there'll be lessons. I'm sure Stephen Kenny will have a takeaway from this World Cup and I'm sure he's, he, I mean, he's been over here, hasn't he? So he's been watching games. Um, I think everyone would maybe make comparisons of Morocco with us. Look, look what Morocco did and, and, and look, but... Morocco put a plan in place, I think it was 15 years ago now, 2007. I think they invested around $20 million into, into 
and into a facility that was like a centre of excellence. We're, we're going to try and create. We're going to try and put our best players into this into this academy, and we're going to try and create something. Um, what's the place in, in France called? Clairefontaine. Um, Clairefontaine. A similar sort of thing to that. From what I'm led to believe, from what I read, anyway. I know most of the players are uh, are foreign born. There's Dutch born. There's Spanish born. There's French born within that side, and most of the best players are, are actually foreign born. But at least they tried to get something in place. They tried to do something and I said a huge investment went into that and they tried to make some sort of excellence that's going to create the next group of players. But watching them, I think there was a clear plan defensively, um, whether they were played four at the back or five at the back. But certainly when they played with four, I think they were so organised when they didn't have the ball. They had a way to defend deep, a low block, as, as Nathan likes to say. Um, you know, he, he likes to get involved in the technical terms, Jay. You know what you know what Nathan's like. But um, he um, he, you know, so they're playing from a low block. They're playing from a, from a system that's going to suit them first of all. So they're going to get the defensive unit of the of the side right. But the the fundamentals get your fundamentals right when you don't have the ball. But you have to you have to find a way that you're going to open up sides and. With Amrabat in midfield, how he took the ball under pressure, how he would he would try and thread passes straight through the middle of play. That then, and you know, when you make that pass through the middle, you get you get you break a line, as they say, another Nathan technical term. You break a line with your pass, and the game opens up. And they had a great way of playing out from deep line positions. They also had ball carriers, you know, Ziyech and um, Unani. I mean. Unani, this guy plays for Angers. They're, they're, I think, the bottom of the French league. This guy's going to be a superstar. If, if if we see the level that he's performed in this tournament and wherever he's going to go, but he's definitely going to leave Angers. The way that he could take the ball under pressure, the way that he could carry the ball in midfield. So, you know, like, if you watch Luka Modric and watching that performance against Brazil, I'd say probably the, the performance of this World Cup because he had a bit of a nightmare in the game prior against Japan. He looked gassed. It looked like there was nothing left in the tank. And then he he won Croatia that game. He got Croatia through that match with with the level that he showed in, 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 the, in his performance. But if you watch what he does when he's on the ball, like he's not just he's not just a player that, that plays two touch, one and two touch, get it, give it. He's a player that takes the ball under pressure. He can wriggle, wriggle away from, from, uh, from pressure that he's under. But he also drives forward 10, 20, 30 yards or whatever it is. And just by doing that, he opens up a game. And he does something that's a bit unconventional as well in how he receives the pass as well, Jay. So he, he, he runs beyond a player in an unconventional position of the pitch. Usually if it's a midfield player and say the fullback's got the ball, they'll drop away from player. Usually as it is now, they'll drop into the back line, take the ball when... Um, when there's nobody near them, so they're trying to dictate the tempo. But what Modric does, he actually steps beyond the the attacking player. So usually it'll be a ten or a nine, whatever it will be that will that will drop back to to prevent the the holding midfielder getting on the ball. We saw it so often. You know, USA did it against Declan Rice. They they just dropped the two centre forwards back and they kind of were on a little bit of a pivot to try to stop him getting on the ball. But what Modric does, he steps beyond that guy and he takes the ball beyond them. So again, that opens up the game further further forward. And I think there's little lessons like that for any young midfield player, maybe a coach that's coaching midfielders, that there's ways to get on the ball and not necessarily being a conventional footballer and I think that's what Morocco did certainly with Amrabat he did very similar things to what Modric did in taking the ball under pressure but also stepping beyond the opposition attacking players to open up the game and he's passing forward as well which obviously opened up the game so I think Morocco Morocco are probably the natural one you'd look at to think how have they done it yes they've got 
players in the top levels and maybe we don't have players at, at the Moroccan level. But I think there's certainly a way that if we can get one or two players that, that that's raising the standard and playing at, at a higher level, um, I think there's certainly teams like Morocco, maybe some one or two of the other African side as well that certainly excelled and got out. Even the US, even the US. Like everyone was telling me, and I said to this, everyone was telling me, oh, US, what a team. They're a great team. US are not a great team. They've got three very, very good midfielders. They're bang average at the back. They've got an average goalkeeper. And then up front, the bang average as well. Pulisic runs around a lot, but he doesn't, he doesn't create an awful lot. They don't create a lot of chances, but they've got three top-class midfielders. And that's that's the thing that they had and in McKenney, in, in Musa, and of course, uh, Tyler Adams. And that's what got the USA through the tournament. That's what got them to the last 16. So I think there's certain lessons that we can learn from a lot of sides, yeah. Um, obviously, our, our next game is going to be against France, who are potential double World Cup champions. Um, and uh, the group uh, looks a little tricky. The uh, Dutch yeah. also looking pretty good. Uh, which means that the referendum on Stephen Kennedy continues and we're, we're perpetually stuck in this cycle of conversation about that as opposed to holding the FAI to account for all the rest of the stuff where they couldn't organise an, an, uh, an AGM last night where the voting it didn't work you know yeah I, I read a little bit about it so I'll have to read more on it today but I did, I did see a few things on Twitter and things like that around it though Jay yeah um, have, you, have you thoughts about the successful countries and what they're doing Um. I, I get I, well, what I would say certainly uh, say if you're looking at the top coaching wise with um, with Morocco the coach Ali Hodjic gets into the tournament and then they sack him because he's not bringing the best player into the side um, in Ziyech so obviously um, Rodragi comes in and he basically only gets the job because he's bringing Ziyech into the squad so that's not necessarily a good thing really it's not a good look from for Morocco but what I would say is they've found a way to get the best players into the side. That's what the fans want to see. They want to see the best players at the tournament. So that has got to be, you know, a prerequisite for, for everyone. You've got to play your best players. You've got to have them because that's what, that's what everybody wants to see. Um, but I think certainly if you're looking at it from, from the, the technical aspect and, and what coaches are doing and, and what we're doing, as much as, of course, the results haven't gone right for, for, for Stephen Kenny. And, and I think by and large, a lot of the performance haven't, haven't been great, but, I think I think it has been I think there has been a progression there. I think that I think it's a steady progression. Um, everyone's looking to quickly call out Stephen and the good luck. You know, we, we you know things didn't go well particularly great in the Malta and Norway games recently, and everyone's like saying, "Oh, we've gone backwards again now." But we we have to look forward. We have to look beyond just saying, look, let's go and pluck a Trapattonio out again. Let's go and get a, a coach that doesn't got a clue about our game, has never watched a League of Ireland game, has never never even studied the structure of Irish football, and we're going to go and pluck a coach out of nowhere, and we're probably going to go back 10 years. Yeah, we might qualify for a tournament. He might get us over the line. But our, our the whole of our game, the whole of our system is centered around the, the men's senior team that's the way that it, that's the way that it has been and that can never be the case where is our structure for producing the next player Robbie Keane Damien Duff whoever Roy Keane whoever it's going to be where's our structure we can't automatically just solely become focused on going right where's our next player that was born in England that, that's going to come and play for Ireland that, that cannot be the case we, we, we've gone from those days now we've got to center our our development or our whole programme on developing players, certainly from within. If somebody becomes available and they want to come and play for Ireland and they're English-born, great. But we don't need to go searching for those guys. We don't need to go telling someone, ah, you're Irish, come and play for us. They've got to 
I feel they've got to have a feeling to want to come and play for us, first of all. Yes, they might not necessarily be the, in, in, in an England squad or a Scotland squad at 23, 24, but that cannot be, that cannot be, sorry, it's not the phone down there, I'm getting a bit um, annoyed here, but anyway, but that, 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 that cannot be the whole the whole purpose of our international side, you know, going elsewhere to look for players. We've got to find a way to start producing our own players that, yeah, we have to bump them up the ladder. We've got to get them into better leagues, into better teams. Their exposure to better better players day-to-day has got to be there's got to be better because we, we, we're not going to be able to have a, a, a better side further down the line. But we can't be just saying we're going to go and pluck somebody out of, a, out of an academy in, in Brighton or Man United or Liverpool, wherever it is, at 16, because... You know they've got a chance to come and play for us when we know full well that down the line they're probably going to turn the back. They're using us just to put themselves on a on a different on a different platform. So I'm not. I, I could never could never agree with that sort of mindset. Anyway, I think we we have to have a system in place, and I think in general we are starting to do that. It looks to me like there's there is a plan. There, like albeit it's baby steps at the moment, and maybe maybe people can't see that. But I think there is a plan. There's a structure in place that we've got a succession plan now going forward, and we've got. Well, if Stephen Kenny fails in in the in the next Euros, and you know we don't qualify, whatever it would be, I think he knows himself. He's not going to be around for the World Cup campaign in, in four years' time. But I do think that we can't go saying then. Let's go and get a coach. Let's pluck a coach out of nowhere that doesn't necessarily have a background in our game. I'm not saying it's an Irishman. I'm not saying, look, let's go and get an Irishman. But they've got to have an understanding of what our game is all about before before they're given the job. That that That's what I believe in and that's what I think it should be. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you feel this uh, at the World Cup. Like that, you know, you've probably taught this before, but you're literally immersed in the best football teams and football uh, countries. And your takeaway is that actually, if we focus ourselves on our own systems and stop looking outside for some miracle messiah, that actually... Uh, we might begin to make progress that's sustainable and like long-term yeah. sustainable and we'll have a football culture yeah. that leads towards hopefully success. Yeah, but Jerry, I, I've, I've seen it so much and you've probably seen it as well that, you know, narrative around different like like Twitter feeds and, and whatever. Oh, Jesus, imagine if, imagine if, um, if, if we had all these English players playing for Ireland that are all eligible to play for Ireland, what our team would be like. I think Jude Bellingham's eligible. I think obviously Declan Rice, uh, Jack Grealish, Harry Kane, all these guys. Like, why are we centred solely? That's our, that's our, that's our, maybe it's been ingrained in us since Big Jack's days and all that sort of thing. And I, I supported the team. That was, that was my era of supporting the team. I, I was on board with everything Big Jack was doing. And, you know, they brought me my, my own personal memories, but, but we understand that we, we were burned by, by Declan Rice in a big way and even maybe Jack Grealish to an extent, but more Declan Rice who, who came in and used our system to get where he naturally wanted to be in his career. And I, we can't be having that again. It, it, it probably will happen to us again somewhere down the line, but we cannot be solely focused on going into an academy overseas just to get a player that's Irish, el- that's eligible to come and play for us, knowing full well that that player might not necessarily even go and play in a senior team. It's just, it, it seems wrong to me. It, it, it is wrong to me. And I, I, I don't want that to be the, the narrative around our squad solely looking at other nations to go, this is, they could have played for us. He, he's eligible to play for us. I don't, I don't see it as that. We've got, to, we've got to get our own house in order before we go look elsewhere. Kev, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Enjoy the final. Talk to you soon. It's uh, Kevin Caban giving us a thought. It's 8.42 this morning. I thought that was fascinating. It's kind of like what Roger was saying earlier. That mentality is built on sand. 
we might get this guy or whatever. It's a, it's, a, it's almost like the GA. Oh, imagine if we had whoever, if he wasn't injured. Like, that's yeah, what yeah. it is. Like, yeah. And that's work with what you have. Try and build what you have and make sure what's coming through the conveyor belt. Make it as strong as we possibly can. Uh, make the academies as strong as we can. And, you know, if we get somebody like that, great. But that can't be your foundation. No, 100%. Uh, right. A couple of quick comments. Mick looks like Mick looks like the lost member of the Libertines or the Strokes in Spectre Corp. Yeah, last time I was in here, I got some comparison to some musician as well. I don't know. Um, all I know is this is with the weather outside. This helps an awful lot, a hell of a lot. Are you a fan of the Libertines or the Strokes? Um, no, I'm the sort of person where I know songs. I'm good at no words. I don't know the name. I don't know who sings them most of the time, to be honest. Uh, great to see Vernie on this morning. You get a lot, a lot of love here. It must be Christmas. <laughs> uh, Eamon Fogarty says, Real pay-per-view comes to the GEA. Going to be some fun next year when people realise that subscription has reached the championship. Where are the anti-Sky crowd now thinking of the poor Owlad? Um, I think uh, Larry McCarthy's making the point that people have accepted pay-per-view, that the world has moved on. Yeah, I think so. Um, and the point of this is as well with Sky, that's something that, you know, that's a monthly thing this is you know it's 59 quid or whatever I said before Christmas 79 thereafter that is kind of way of the world at the moment I think it's reasonable enough now the only thing I would say is like there's no Joe McDonough Cup games as part of this you know which I think is really disappointing because it's the second tier of Ireland um, it's already over there not really been seen unless Whereas if they stuck it on here it would be like oh idea yeah, yeah like Diego would have had McDonough Cup games before I, it's disappointing from an awfully point of view and from other counties it's that a, are trying to grow very interesting point you made about um, it just has to wash its face like uh, the GA finances are quite opaque but the GA makes a load of money and doesn't have to pay the players At the, mo- the vast majority of the money comes from the big games in Croke Park that's where the sponsorship deals from that's where the TV rights come from so they can actually afford to build this thing over the next 15-20 years and that this is a long term play for them where what will happen is they'll start doing all those extra games maybe not the first year but in year two make sure that you know you don't overextend yourself but then all of a sudden it becomes this massive uh, proper TV channel over yeah. the top and you know your, your 59 quid becomes 99 quid but actually you get uh, the McCrory Cup and you get the Sigerson and you get the Fitzgibbon and you're like well okay now I'm interested it's a GA network exactly yeah, exactly. Yeah. that's the long term plan here yeah. uh, And over but time, they also have yeah. the finances to do it they'll, they'll, you know all the sports organisations with the exception of the FAI traditionally who were telling us that they had loads of money and they didn't uh, the IRFU were always like oh you know it's, it's very difficult like, hey, you're sitting on a massive land bank there and they sold the land bank and they, they're back in surplus again and the GA also just sold the land before Covid to build a hotel on um, Clonniff so they have loads of they actually have loads of money and they're a really well run organisation and that's a positive thing I'm not mm. criticising them they can totally afford to invest in this over the next 15-20 years and turn it into something that everybody goes oh well that makes perfect sense yeah there's also talk of um, the GA basically starting to you know I was on uh, was I actually I'm not sure it was I around David Tuberty being the league's top scorer a couple yes, of years yeah, ago yeah. Uh, but that was something that was handed to me by an old fella uh, who does stats like and I would I, I kind of happened upon that but by all accounts it looks like they're finally going to start putting a database of records together so this along with a potential GA network um, listen you're going to have to you know, it's the nature of the world you're going to have to pay for it um, but I think it is a progressive move I have to say Alright up next Alan Quinlan ahead of the Heineken Champions Cup but first here is Ursula Jacobs from last night's show where Nathan tried to convince her to keep playing for one more year with Owlert 
And if Sarsfields do win, that means if you look at the last decade, it'll be three for Sarsfields, three for Schlock Neil, three for Owlert de Ballock. Bring you back, bring you back for another year, the motivation to go and win a fourth. Oh, God. Um, well, look, at you know, it, I have to say the standard in the last few years um, in Club Camogie has really been uh, phenomenal. You know, it's really gone to another level. And look, credit to the likes of Schlock Neil, who we played last year, Sarsfields, ourselves, you know, have been there or thereabouts, um, as you said, in the last decade. And it's it's hard to believe that, um, you know, how, how quickly time has passed by, but Look, it's 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 a credit to those teams to consistently be coming back every year. And ourselves in Owlert, you know, probably a few people had written us off last year, and and we came back again. So look, who knows? Who knows what twenty twenty three will bring? But let's just hope for a, a really exciting, brilliant final on Saturday evening. Right, uh, Alec Quinlan is with us. Um, we had Rod on earlier. Still doesn't know where the game is going to be played. Uh, quietly hoping for it to be in Dublin. It sounds like I'll fly to Belfast and get the the coach down, but. Not not ideal for Ulster to be facing La Rochelle all of a sudden in the RDS if that does happen. No, it wouldn't be, I think, uh, given what happened last week away in Sale. Um, they'd like to get home, get the crowd behind them, get a good start in the game because um, I think, uh, you know, I was listening to both of you this morning and, you know, Roger's always intriguing about the mental side of things and, you know, standards and stuff like that. And that's it doesn't surprise me at all that he's always thinking that way he was like that as a player so you know mentally getting the La Rochelle side after winning it last year it's always hard when you win a trophy to keep the standard or even prove it because you know every time team to play La Rochelle it, it's a big game it's yeah. a bigger game because you've won something so um, mentally um, it, it, it's a big test for them as well going away to Ulster and um, knowing there's going to be a reaction you know we spoke about on Monday about and it's uh, a lot of people have spoken about, you know, the surprise at Leinster the way, or at, at, at Ulster, the way they capitulated over in Sale. I think there was a hangover from the Leinster game, the second half of the Leinster game in the RDS the week before. We've always questioned their mentality a little bit, um, respectfully. Well, there was a flakiness there. Yeah, and, you know, Ulster are a side that can go to the Toulouse and win like they did last year yeah. produce a brilliant performance and then they lose the, the game back in, in Belfast so um, small margins when, when at the top level and the mental side of it is 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 is, is really important and I think um, so it doesn't surprise me that he's continuously trying to push that because he was like that as a player but this is a big big pressure game for Ulster and Dan McFarlane's side they will want it in Belfast. Going down to Dublin is not going to be ideal for them. It makes it, um, it takes away a little bit of that home advantage, the obvious home advantage, and the energy that they can create in the Kingspan. Yeah, I do wonder what the atmosphere will be like. Will there be a lot of um, La Rochelle fans all of a sudden um, coming up from Munster and Leinster? Like, you know, we. I don't think so. Sports, don't. sports fandom is weird. We don't really want our neighbours to be doing well. Yeah, and uh, we're good at, as Irish people at uh, <laughs> clipping each other. Then when they come together for Ireland, we... That's all fine. All one, yeah, you know, that's uh, different. But um, I think there's a lot of people who would have a lot of respect for Ronan, uh, particularly in the supporting plan for Ireland. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was Munster people and Leinster people hoping that La Rochelle could possibly beat Ulster. Um, on the flip side of it, there'd be other many people thinking it's an Irish side against the French side. We want the Irish side to do well. So you get a mixture of everything there, really, don't you? And yeah. we've had that debate for so long when Leinster are playing, do Munster fans 
wanting to lose or win. Yes. Yeah, well, there's a there's a minority on both sides. There and is. It works both ways. Yeah. When we were winning in '06 and '08, we're le- you know there was probably more of a uh, Leinster. You were you were likable though. Group, yeah, possibly. It was okay the first time, Alan. I don't know. Was I ever <laughs> likable, Gerard? The way I played, but um, there was probably more Leinster people saying, "Well, look, you know." But then when the rivalry and the bitterness and the lack of them not Leinster not winning it, it's all relaxed now. You know, everyone is. Uh, it is relaxed, I, and but it shouldn't be, right? I That's even had a brother, my brother, during the week, telling me, "God, I like watching Leinster. Like they're great." And I was there, Jesus, you're gone soft. You know what I mean? So, um, we want to smarten up a little bit down there. Exactly. Uh, speaking of that game on Sunday, right? Um, Northampton Munster one o'clock live commentary on off the ball on News Talk. Um, what what do you expect in terms of a response from Munster to last week? Because they've They've got a lot of credit for even O'Gara today in the, in the paper is saying, you know, real signs. He enjoys watching them again. You can see what that the um, coaching ticket is trying to do. And um, that's a dangerous place where you lose a game and you get it's, credit, you know. It's, it's, it's down to expectation and reality, you know. Munster of, and it's from even the last number of years, I've always thought, if Munster get in near the knockout stages and they get that home qualifying around 16, they'd be very hard to beat. They're possibly in a qualifying semi-final and then it's kind of roll of the dice, bit of luck, getting right, injuries and maybe they could... We saw last year they maybe they could. Yeah. Foolishly, you might be thinking maybe they could um, surprise and, and if they get in near, near that, that end scenario the history and the stuff might so uh, there's a few times where I've thought that maybe they have a chance this year we like with all due respect and I think um, they know this themselves they're not winning the European Cup this year because you have to have real depth in your squad um, I think if they get all their players available and if they had RG Snyman back and you know they've a Dogbo missing Thomas Ahern at the moment Finney and Witcherly so there's a bit of, de- of a depth problem there in around the pack to, to tweak things as they go along um, Andrew Conway's still out. Keith Earls is just back. Um, if they had everyone fit and available, I think they'd be a handful for most teams on their day. But so giving them the pass um, is is down to really, and I spoke about this at the start of the season is the expectation and the change of of the way they're playing and dealing in reality. So what we're seeing now, and I've always said this about Munster fan Munster fans, and I feel it as a former player. If you go out and play with passion, fight, energy and you're trying to play, the fans will accept that. Um, of course they'll give out when they lose and things should have been better and stuff like that. But, you know, it's not that the Munster mentality is now accepting of, of being second best or second rate or third rate or whatever the case may be. But I think there's a little bit of optimism there and it's kind of a bit of more of a glass half full. Um, people are trying to be optimistic there and say, look, they've seen changes and, and we've seen them. So... Most teams would struggle against that Toulouse side, home yeah. or away. The one thing is that there have been in in the Van Grand era, and it's it's hard to compare and contrast because it's so early in the new era, right? But in the Van Grand era, there will be these good one-off performances, yeah. and then immediately afterwards, it'd be a letdown. So they do Ulster beat them in the quarterfinal at home yeah. a couple of years back, and then last year the the Toulouse game great, but then immediately afterwards, URC out. Competition over, season yeah. over. That's dead down to duck. depth. It's down to mentality. It's down to coaching. A lot of teams, it's like the FA Cup, isn't it? Historically, in in England, or um, a club GA game where 
the favourites are coming to town or whatever and you can rally the troops, you can create a buzz and energy, you can go out and rip into them the old Irish mentality, bring passion, energy. You can't do that every week, Joe. You can't get that energy and emotion at any sport. Where where you get a balance is... It's built on get, Yeah, and it's having That's depth. So you tweak yeah. three or four changes. The guys that are coming in are hungry, but they're good players as well. They're well coached. They're pissed off that they're not selected the yeah. week before. So they have a point to prove. So you can actually... Cody has done it the best over the years, hasn't he, with Kilkenny? Mm. You know, making those two or three changes, keeping that, that the fires burning um, and creating a little bit of a bitterness and stuff. It's down to depth. So Munster don't have that depth across the board and they don't have that experience. But what we're seeing is some young players and some positive signs. So it's a big game. It's a massive game because this is one now that don't don't like make sure the progress the, is, the, is the, real. The kind of free passes is, is 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 not there for this one. So if Munster go over to Northampton and have a really poor performance and are beaten, well then it kind of sets them back a little bit. So it's a pressure game for them. If they win it, they have a real chance of being in the round sixteen because you'd imagine then that Northampton are are finished because they've lost their first two that Munster would beat him in the back-to-back game. And then they're possibly on eight or nine, ten points, but they didn't get a bonus. They got a losing bonus point last week. So if they were to get four or five over, you're on five or six. And then the Northampton game, you could be up around 10 or 11 points, possibly. You're in the qualifying zone there. And then you're heading to Toulouse with the pressure off, throw caution to the wind a little bit. and and they're in the round sixteen, but look, losing Sunday and it's it's there's no round sixteen. No. But the the reality is they're go- again they're playing a side that it just depends what Chris Boyd and his uh, Phil Dawson we played against many times. If it was him standing in front of the players, he's a real competitive guy. I played against him many times. He's their coach. Um, I think that. They're going to meet a Northampton side, I think, that will won't make it easy for them, and will really want to win this game. So, it's it's a pretty, um, it's a tough place to go in Northampton, but it's a real test for Munster. And I, there's no gimme here. This there's a, I don't like the fact that there's a bit of a Munster go to Northampton and win on Sunday. They're not saying it themselves. This is going to be a real kind of tough tough game for them, but. There's an opportunity there because it's not a Toulouse, it's not a La Rochelle, it's not a Leinster, it's not a, you know, a big, big, big squad of players. Just as a brief aside, Alan, on something you mentioned earlier, um, you had an edge to your play, there was a bitterness towards, we'd say, the, the Leinster players. How did you find going into the Ireland camp then? Were you able to camp that? Uh, you know, when you're seeing a lad and you're not, you know, you're you know very physical with them all that kind of crack were you able to part that when you went sure. to Ireland and is that completely different now the edge not to say that the edge is gone but they're with each other so much more now at international level it's taken away a bit of that edge it as has well. and it's down to it, we spoke about these rivalries many times yeah it's it's team Ireland now and that's maybe it's for the best um, it takes a little bit away it doesn't mean that uh, Leinster or Munster don't want to beat each other and Leinster have shown that uh, they've been pretty ruthless in in their in their performances against Munster. They'll they'll always want to beat each other, and the same with the other provinces. Connacht, Munster has become a real kind of spark to that mm-hmm. that derby match over the years. Was I able to park very easily? And you might think I'd be the one that wouldn't because 
for, for the way I played a little bit, but very easily because I always thought that um, um, you know being being selected in an Irish squad was a real privilege, and you've got to buy into it. So I never had an issue with it, and I don't think anyone ever had. I think what would have happened is players would have been. And this happened in '09 after the Grand Slam when that famous Rob Carney statement when he said the Munster players play with more passion and they're more with Munster than Ireland. So um, that kind of brought it out in the open and, and made it uh, made players more conscious of it. And I think it had an, a different a difference because naturally everyone would mix around together in the hotels and stuff like that, but they wouldn't be heading out. You know, we went on a trip to Lanzarote one time at pre-season training camp in December, I think it was 2006, five or six, and uh, I think we, we we got the pass for a few points one night and there was seven Munster players or eight Munster players down a reception, one Leinster player, that was Mallow Kelly. And it wasn't that the Leinster fellas didn't want to go, but they were naturally doing stuff with them, their, themselves. You they were know. cliques, though. That's, that's the definition of cliques. Yeah, yeah, but... When that was brought out in the open, yeah. yeah, we hadn't really thought about it. So it was just naturally, well, you, you're at dinner and you kind of go to a couple of your closer mates and friends that we, we go for a pint or we're going down to the shop or we're going out for a bite to eat. That stuff happened. But um, it didn't always happen. And it didn't happen because of people consciously made decisions to go, well, don't ask him, don't ask him and, you know, keep it quiet. It just was like we're going for a few pints and this stuff happened a bit. But... Um, it didn't always happen. You know, I remember uh, we were in Bilbao for 2003 World Cup for a training camp and we went out and it was... Everybody. You know, everybody kind of in... Um, so that didn't always happen. So, But I think it around that time it was really... Um, Declan Kidney was the one who kind of had that meeting and stuff and it was well documented that here's a young Leinster player challenging a kind of a group who, who maybe... Well, who had won two European Cups. Not consciously decided that you know we just kind of moved around in the groups together and um but it's different now they're all mates they're pals they do lots of stuff together they meet outside of rugby and stuff so it's it's just different times uh let's talk about the the Leinster Gloucester game um Gloucester make 13 changes from their win over Bordeaux last week I checked the spread there's 35 Leinster are 35 point favorites for the game tonight not great for the Heineken Cup no, it's not, and it's uh, it's very it's very disappointing in a sense that you're you're in round two, and you have this many changes in a, in um, a Gloucester side coming to Dublin. Do I do I blame Gloucester? Well, no. so just explain they're they're going to be grand. Well, they they so they won last week against Bordeaux, uh, bonus point win at home, five points on the board. Uh, they've three games left in in this the, these rounds is four rounds, um, so they've three games left. They have big Premiership games coming up in the next few weeks and through the festive period. Uh, do they send their full strength side to Dublin and still realistically get beaten, get bruised and battered, or do they rest them this week, concede the match practically, and and uh, keep them all ready for their for their league game next week and their run of matches that they've coming up? Um, so I don't blame Gloucester. I, I think the tournament format. There's a problem with it. I'm kind of sitting on the fence here because I find it hard. I think the format changed. The, the problem here, player welfare and all that stuff, has come to the to the fore in the last number of years for rugby. Finding 
more weekends for these and, and like that emotional thing that I've sent you Michael getting kind of up every week and expecting teams to be up on all big games is hard and it kind of wears out clubs and players but something has gone wrong the two pools of 12 makes it very confusing to know who's playing who or what, what relevance the table okay, has and like. yeah you can go into your, your computer or your phone and see the fixtures and find them but just having people talking about them yeah. having an interest in them well the pool draw was great because you used to be able to go oh the back to back would be around now there'd already be a couple of games gone I, I just love that as a player yeah. you're, you're going over uh, start of December and you're these two weekends in December uh, last week and this weekend back to back I'll never forget playing Papillon in one. I think it was two thousand two or two thousand three. We beat them well in Thomond Park, and thought, you know, we're we're in a good position. We went over there a week after and got absolutely not not scoreline, but just we 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 encountered a different beast. They were angry. They were aggressive. They were dirty. They were the crowd were on top of us. Um, I loved that, and and over the years, it was brilliant. I'm not saying that it has to go back, but there's something wrong now that you're in round two and you've teams, and they won't be the only team that'll be picking weekend teams this weekend. Um, Gloucester, but it's disappointing because but Gloucester can pick a weekend team, get hammered by sixty points, and still qualify for the last sixteen. So they can go then and play uh, Bordeaux away in the next game, and by which they Bordeaux no Leinster away in the next game. Um, Still having Leinster at home is going to be very difficult for them in the King's home, but their priority is the Premiership. And yeah. and you know if you ask them, if you ask them what what their goal is this season, is it to win a European Cup? I don't know, but it's it's a shame, it's a pity because the old format. And a lot of people mention the old format, but going back to what I was saying, we we've a less weekend this year in the, in the Champions Cup, Heineken Champions Cup, because. Um, you know, we normally would have had nine rounds. We've eight rounds this year. We had nine last year, even in the old format. Yeah. But going right back to the old format of the, the pools of four, um, coming out of work. that, yeah. top two maybe get out. Can I move on? Because I'm nearly out of time. But um, during the week, I was like, well, Warren Gatland, he's just back. What's, what's the first grenade he's going to lob? It's like, oh, uh, Andy Farrell's the only man for the Lions job. I was like, that's interesting, Warren. I wonder, wonder what his experience was coming back from the Lions every time and how easy it was to just drop the players you know not bring them on a Lions tour and then go back into the squad and go no I still love you you're still really good you're just not as good as him but I'm going to ask you to go and beat them now next week it's not I, I often wonder if actually no current international head coach should be the Lions manager that actually you need to be outside of the yeah, four there's, there's, countries yeah but he's had great success to be fair um the biggest disappointment was the, the, the last tour, I think. Yeah, it was and terrible, it kind but of, coming back was always difficult for him. Yeah, very difficult, because you had an interim coach stepping in for Wales. He would have been out of the job for a year. Um, but it worked. It seemed to work. Would it work again? So if Andy Farrell was to step out for a year, maybe that's what happened with the Emerging Ireland Tour, to to, to let these player, the, co- the other coaches off and see if they can do the job. Who knows? But he is the obvious candidate, and I think... Um, so who's the who's the interim head coach? Who's the interim head coach? Well, it's either Simon Eastery, Paul O'Connell. Well, do they do they oil up and wrestle for the job, or is it like no, you take it? It might you be a, jo- it? a joint role. Um, neither might want it, um, but I don't know. He's um, if you know for the next Lions tour. But so, listen, all can change in two thousand and twenty-three. It look, did happen in nineteen. So yeah. 
and the far might be under pressure this time next year World Cup all that kind of stuff so who knows and he knows that but I think at the moment there's two ways of looking at it glass half full is uh, well the glass half full is, is, is there's a load of Irish players in the Lions tour if it's next week and also then that y- can change very very quickly sure but it, to finish that like if, if he goes and does the job right and O'Connell steps up and is the interim head coach then the succession plan is immediately there for after the next World Cup. Say, say it all goes well, right? For whatever yeah. whatever that definition is, then O'Connell gets like a full year being the head coach with no massive pressure because he knows that Farrell's coming back after the Lions, and he's got that experience. And then the the IRFU are in a happy place where it's like, well, we we know we have an international quality head coach who who's cut his teeth, has had the experience, is part of the system. And is yeah, so I can see how that would work. Yeah, but that's if the results are good. Yeah, if yeah. it happens, you yeah. know what I mean. So it's a results-driven business. Last half empty, it all goes to shit. Yeah, of course. But at the moment, you would think he's the obvious candidate, and um, I think this time with Gatti, I think um, he's just telling the truth. It's not a grenade. Yeah, it's not a grenade, and I'm I think he's uh, maybe he, he's always they have a very something. good relationship as well, Andy sure Farrell, sure and so yeah. he yeah. could be an assistant coach. I'm just cynical, you know. Oh, maybe yeah, he could he be could going with Andy yeah. Farrell rolls reverse this time. Um, yeah, for sure. As a uh, adjunct provocateur, well, that would be interesting. So long as uh, Andy Farrell gets to decide what rugby the Lions plays, as opposed to Gatlin, because it was terrible the last time. It so. wasn't good the last time, and uh, but that wasn't down to Warren Gatlin totally. No, I think it was these assistant coaches and stuff. And Razzie out about that as well. The way they played, they tried to muscle up against South Africa, didn't they, and not play rugby and hope it got them one result, but lost yeah. them the other two tests. All right. Alan, good stuff. Thanks, Cheers, thanks, lads. It's uh, eight minutes past nine. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Make sure you tune into the lunchtime wrap today. It brings you all the latest sports news. It's with thanks to Deliveroo. Check out the app for some great match day meal deals across the World Cup. Deliveroo, food, we get it. Here's what's on the OTB Sports Radio uh, for you today. Joe meets Ruby Walsh at one o'clock as OTB Gold. Matt Rushmore is Dublin at three o'clock. At four o'clock, it's uh, Team 33 LOI legend Liam Coyle. OTB Gold is James McLean at 6 and then Johnny Ward is hosting you tonight to take you through the evening and as things stand we do expect that Vera Powell is coming in studio today for an interview with Nathan so we'll air that this evening for you uh, you can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in latest sports content after the break we're joined by a pair of actors behind two iconic Irish TV series Simon Delaney from Bachelors Walk and Owen Colgan from Hardy Books to chat ahead of the World Cup final OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It's 10 minutes past nine this Friday morning. It's the Friday morning of the World Cup final on Sunday afternoon. And I'm delighted to welcome Simon Delaney and Owen Colgan to the show. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome. Um, Owen, it looks like you're uh, cheering for Argentina. I'm a, a master of deduction here. Hello, guys. How are you getting on? How's it going? Can you hear me? We can, yeah. How are you? I'm kind of losing you there, but uh, yeah, I'm definitely cheering on Argentina. I'm actually in Buenos Aires as we speak. Uh, Buenos Aires in Mayo or in uh, actual Buenos Aires? Buenos Aires is uh, Buenos Aires in Donegal, which is like a spin-off town. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm actually I'm actually in Buenos Aires in Argentina. Are you really? Wow! When did you decide yeah. to go? What's that? When did you decide to go to Argentina? What did I sell? A couple of couple of kidneys, but uh, it's definitely worth it. It's a great atmosphere here. Vamos Argentina! Wow! Unbelievable. They give me the matte as well, so. Does it work? It's lovely stuff, yeah. This really gets you into the mood. This is just <laughs> regular matte, but this is what everyone's drinking on the streets. Uh, very good. Um, Simon Delaney, who are you up for? 
Um, well, I got France in the draw and work, so I'll be gone for France. That was enough to keep you keep you on board. You weren't like yeah, n- yeah, not yeah. for you the romance of Leo Messi finally crowning his career. Screw that. Well, do you know what? We were watching the first game on set while we were filming, which of course we shouldn't have been doing. Um, when Argentina got beaten, and I, I turned to someone and I said after the game, I said, "Now is the time to back them because obviously their price will get better, and uh, they, I think they'll go all the way." So I think it's the point that everybody everybody wanted, but I just think France are going to be too strong on Sunday. I kind of have that feeling as well that actually I, I hope I'm wrong and everybody keeps telling me oh Argentina are getting better as the tournament goes on Yeah. but I just have this little bit of concern that better defence better midfield better attackers and uh, I, d- I do think um, completely biased as an Aston Villa fan that uh, our goalkeeper is way better than their goalkeeper <laughs> yeah there is that he's, and he's a bit of a character isn't he um, he's certainly a man for riding the crowd up um, yeah, I just think man for man, France are a better team, but the romantics amongst us, you know, still want Messi to do it on Sunday, but I think it'll be France. Um, we're just going to try and fix the line to Owen there, so Simon, I might stick with you for a moment. <coughs> yeah. uh, the the World Cup, obviously, born of controversy, right? Um, and uh, massive amounts of corruption led to the World Cup being here, and horrific uh, at the start of, um, over the last number of years, the amounts of deaths that have been uh, Catalogs and and yet mm. the whole sports washing thing has, has worked to the point where everybody's saying this is one of the greatest World Cups of all time. That's just how um, that's just how life works. Yeah, it's it was a strange one coming into it because we're all so used to watching and loving the World Cup and the whole thing about it, a being in Qatar then the time of year and the idea of watching the World Cup the week before Christmas Day. It all just felt so so wrong for so many different reasons. But it has been a great tournament. Um, I, I, I was a bit disappointed in terms of, you know, not disappointed in terms of the levels of protest, but, you know, there was so much uh, talk before the tournament about, you know, it shouldn't be here. People are going to try and make a point while they're out there. The whole controversy with the armbands then before the first game, I thought that would have rolled on a bit further through the tournament, but it seemed to sort of die away. Yeah, it definitely did. No, no individual player has actually taken no. a, a significant stand who you hoped would take a significant stand. Um, once the football started, they decided that they were all about their business. Uh, yeah. one, one last point on this before we go on. Um, I have to say I'm loving the Christmas World Cup. I think it's great. I would be yeah. all up for this again if that was to happen in future. Yeah, it's, there's, there's something about it. This is, we all kind of forgot about you know the controversies and all that when we were being served up three and four four matches a day there's just something about it I mean I, I've been watching it with uh, <clears throat> my sons you know the eldest 16 the 14 year old 10 year old and 6 year old and they've, they've really been into it um, and I, I've often made the comment and I've made this through previous World Cups as well when you have the likes of you know Tunisia playing they are games that you would never seek out and watch at any other time of the year in any other competition but when you're getting served up these games one after the other it's just <laughs> I mean it is a festival of football and we can't get away from it and it, it, those, some of the games have been I mean I watched the first three games I watched were nil-nil draws so I thought it was a bit of an Uncle Albert I said I'm not going to watch anymore but I think as the tournament went on we got some great shocks some great surprises there's been some cracking games um, and I was listening to Kevin Kilban earlier on 
you're talking about the the, the refereeing. I mean, yeah, it, it was okay up to the quarterfinal stage, but my God, the wheels came off then in terms of refereeing. Some of it's been absolutely atrocious. It is mad that they invented VAR and uh, it has managed to yeah. screw things up. Are you a fan of the summer or winter? What's your take? Uh, I'm not a big soccer fan in general. I've only, I only started tuning in was it last Friday night in the middle of uh, Holland and Argentina good time to start by god I turned it on at the right time that was absolutely fascinating Um, and I just thought the the cojones for that for that last free kick to not take the shot and try and work it and even with the the fella lying down behind the wall it was just fascinating and then obviously watching England as well it's just a fascination Irish people have a fascination with with English football and it's probably throw it to the two boys as well and maybe just to, to own first like what was the reaction to, to Harry Kane's penalty penalty miss? Can you hear us, Owen? Yes, sorry, what was in there? Question was, what was your reaction when Harry Kane missed the penalty? He put it into another you know planet. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the truth. I have a brother that's living in London, so I was actually in London for that game, and I was in a pub, and when Harry Kane missed the penalty, I had to pretend that I was upset by it, but <laughs> there was a big reaction in the pub. People were upset, and I do know that Harry Kane, I have seen him holding a Mayo jersey, so half of me kind of wanted him to score, but at the same time, I don't think I would have liked to see them in the final because uh, they're a good team, but uh, if they won it, you'd never hear the end, the end of it. So, you know, I was kind of bittersweet to see him missing, but I'm happy that France are in the final against Argentina. But uh, I would be sickened now if France win it again. Because some, uh, yeah. some people reckon his curse started the minute he put his hands on that Mayo jersey. Pardon? Some people reckon that uh, Harry Kane's curse started the minute he put his hands in the Mayo jersey. Well, that curse is finished now because your man, unfortunately, the last fella for the curse has passed away. So that curse is done and dusted. So England are going to need to have another excuse no more than Mayo next year. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's funny, bittersweet. So, uh, was there? Um, what was the pub like in the aftermath of the game? Who were they blaming? Pardon? Who were they blaming in the pub in England when after the match? Like, whose fault is it? Who's fault is it? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't hear you there. Sorry. <laughs> I was wondering who the England football fans that you were watching the game with. Who did they blame when they went out? I was there. I was there with my brother and my father actually, because uh, my my brother had a child recently. So we were just the three of us in a pub in a corner. But most people were shouting for England. There was a few, a few uh, hidden French fans in there as well. So we kind of flocked towards them at the end of the game. But um, no, it was a great game, and England did well, you know. But it's again just to reiterate, it's nice to not see them in the final. Yeah, I don't know if. Um I, 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 when he missed, I just couldn't believe it. Like I just couldn't, couldn't believe it. There was this. Uh, there's obviously like a, a yelp, but I kind of wanted to see extra time, and I, 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 I kind of wanted to see. England. I know it, it would have been nice. It would have been nice to see a bit extra time. Yeah, and I think England they almost deserved a bit of extra time. But um, again, you can't go against the French, you know. But I do think I do think that Argentina have it. From talking to people on the streets here now, there's a great atmosphere, and uh, I think that the Argentinians now it's time for them to pick up that cup again. Was it always your plan to go to Argentina if they got this far, or is this a coincidence? Yeah. No, no, it was, it was, because I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm married to an Argentinian woman, so uh, she wanted, to, she said to me, if we get to the final, we have to go. So I found cheap flights out from Knock, um, although I had to go via Frankfurt. But uh, yeah, definitely it was the plan at the beginning of the World Cup. If they got to the final, we would be there in the heart of football, Buenos Aires. Where will you watch it? I'm going to watch it in a, in a pub down the town. It's called a James Joyce pub, actually. So I'm going to go in there for... Uh, 
a few quiet pints. But apparently, if I wear this jersey in there and let them know that I'm Irish with all the Adver Brown stuff, I won't have to put my hand in my pocket. <laughs> uh, free pints. So you've obviously been to Buenos Aires before. Pardon? You've obviously been to Buenos Aires before. No, no, no. First time here. First oh, time right. here. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm new to the scene, but uh, I'm really loving it. People are very friendly and uh, lots of handshakes going around. The thing that immediately struck me was, it was like, knocker doing direct flights to Buenos Aires? <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> no, they, I, had to go, I had to go back the way towards Frankfurt. It's almost like he was in London. He was following England. He's moved to Argentina now. I couldn't think of a better place to be to, for the World I'm Cup final. of the world. I've changed my license since lockdown. I wanted to just get out there, you know. Uh, Buenos Aires is, is wild when like I was there for St. Patrick's Day one year and the whole city not the whole city but a large portion of the city closed down and everybody was out in the streets so I can only imagine what it's going to be like if they actually win this thing you know there's a massive pressure on the team to deliver although the pressure seems less so uh, obviously with your uh, half Argentine life now what do you think the pressure is on Messi at this stage? I lost you there towards the end. What's the pressure like on Messi? Is there no pressure? Is he free? Or do you feel like he has to deliver this for the country? Do I feel like the whole country's behind Messi? Yeah, that'll do. Sorry there, I, I, I can't... Don't, I can't, don't worry about it, don't worry now. about it. I might put that one to you, Simon. Like... Messi looked troubled in, in previous World Cups, burdened down by the fact of, <clears throat> like, you, know, you have to win the World Cup to reach Maradona's status. This one, he doesn't seem to be playing with the same level of, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all, like, complete projection on my part, but it just feels like he, he seems a bit freer. Yeah, I mean, we can't even begin to imagine the amount of pressure that's on him because, you know, people have even stopped talking about it being France against Argentina. It's it's Messi against France, you know, the, the pressure that he must be under. Can you imagine if it goes, you know, the, the full the full length on Sunday and it goes to penalty kicks, you know, and he will, as he does, he'd probably step up first, unlike Neymar, but... Um, the pressure that he's under to deliver this, and, and you know he's delivering it for for a country. You know, I I I think it's it's incredible. It's all more it's all the more remarkable then that he's delivering those performances while under that pressure, um, because this probably will be well. He's thirty five. His last World Cup. You know, never say never. He could come back uh, in four years' time, but. I just don't know if that team... I mean, I've been really impressed with DePaul. And, you know, I think Martinez has been superb when he's played. They are a very, very good team. But I just think if you break it down and look at position for position, I just think, for me, one of the players of the tournament has been Griezmann. Uh, you know, again, listen to Kevin earlier on talking about Deschamps' management in replacing Pogba. Uh, you know, with Griezmann, <clears throat> who would have thought of doing that? And it's worked beautifully. <clears throat> I just think France will edge it. But the pressure that Messi must be under. I mean, does the man not suffer with nerves? <clears throat> My God almighty, stand on that tunnel on Sunday. And it will be effectively a home game. The, the Argentinian fans have been unbelievable right through the tournament. How so many of them are getting out there is beyond me because it ain't a cheap place to go or get to. Um, so the atmosphere will certainly be, it'll be like a home game and the pressure on that man's shoulders, it's just staggering. Just speaking of pressure on Messi, I don't know if you saw that, uh, it wasn't an interview necessarily, but it was a, an Argentinian journalist, female journalist, basically having a word with Messi at the end of the interview saying, 
like win, lose or draw this World Cup final, like you're still a legend to all of us. I was nearly getting emotional looking at it and you're just kind of thinking, I think she was trying to not put pressure on him, but it, to me it nearly put more pressure on him because she was downplaying it and it just, but uh, I can't imagine, but he's he's dealt with it, like he's dealt with it better this year than any other year, would it be fair to say, the pressure that's been on him? That's, I also think that's an interesting point in terms of that if, he, if they don't win it, I think, you know, unlike say, you know, maybe an English player who could miss a penalty. I don't think Messi will get slated the way, say, an English player might get slated for losing them the Euros or losing them the World Cup. I mean, there's almost that thing of it'll make him even more of a hero because he's done so much in this World Cup to get them to the final that if, you know, it's not, it's never going to be his fault if they lose it. They will be beaten. If they're beaten, they will be beaten by a better team on Sunday. So I don't think it'll affect, and I think you're dead right, that reporter's dead right, is not going to affect his his status as, a, as an iconic figure in that country if they do lose it. If he wins it, I mean, they'll basically just dip him in bronze and stick a statue of him in one of the main squares of Buenos Aires. But I don't think he would get slated. I think, the, I think they'll feel sorry for him and they'll get behind him even more. I mean, look at... Look at the way they talk about Maradona. Yes, he delivered a World Cup in '86 and that, but you know, look at look at what happened to Maradona in his personal life and his career over the years. And the Argentinian people, there's almost a martyrdom to him, you know. And I think that if if Argentina lose on Sunday, it, it won't take away from Messi's achievements. You know, he's delivered a Copa America. He's already done that. He's taken that. You know, noose around his neck. That that's gone. He's won a tournament with the with the national team. Yes, the holy grail is the World Cup. And again, going back to the, like he will be under huge pressure, as will the rest of the team. And I think what's been really interesting watching right through the tournament as well is listening to all of the other Argentinian players and their manager. Is that they're all basically saying we're doing it for him. They're not there to win the World Cup for themselves, even. You know, I mean, what an achievement for any player to be part of a squad that wins a World Cup. But they're all doing it because of him. So when you have that mentality, you know, these lads are going to run through brick walls from, and it could be a very interesting game on Sunday in terms of how they decide to set up Argentina. You know, will they, will they try and beat France? Will they man mark them? Will they kick lumps out of them? Or will they just try and get the ball to Messi and see what happens? Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to watch. It is. It is. And I do wonder, right. That's obviously a great psychological trick to, to release the pressure on the rest of the team. That's their cause and everybody rallies behind it puts a little bit of extra pressure on him and if it works it's genius I mean, if it fails at the end it's like you know I don't know I think you're right though that um, because the rest of the supporting cast isn't at the same level as France's if he manages to pull it off it's an even greater achievement than the great achievement of getting the team to a World Cup final again like he, he dragged the team to a World Cup final previously he's done it again They're, you know I'm not writing off the rest of the team because uh, obviously, there's some really, really, really good footballers in it. But on the other side of this, right, France also looking for a little bit of history. The second mm-hmm. manager in history to retain it. The last one was in the 30s. Like, you know, mm-hmm. literally a completely... Those World Cups, by all accounts, were chaos and um, interesting. Uh, and there must be extra pressure on them a little bit that they're trying to be as great as the Brazil team of Pele. And Mbappe is stepping into the natural successor to Pele as somebody who goes and wins three World Cups in his lifetime. Like, it's it's a level of... Um, like, what's riding on this is is all-time <clears throat> greatness. That's the, the size of the game on Sunday. 
Yeah, that's very true, and that lies on both sides. I mean, as you say, France get the chance to do something that is truly historic on Sunday. Deschamps as well, what an achievement it would be for him. Um, the Mbappe thing, I mean, I don't know whether I speak for the majority of the football community, but I mean, I wouldn't be the biggest Mbappe fan. I think it's, uh, he is... You know, look at look at the current deal that or the most recent deal he signed at PSG. I mean, some people would say that he's he's everything that's wrong with the current game. You know, in terms of the modern player, player power. You know, how, how in the name of God does a player have written into his contract that he has decisions on who the manager is, on who transfers in, transfers out? But that's that's a whole different debate, which you've had before. Uh, but. I don't. I don't. I don't feel <clears throat> outside of France. There's a general love for wanting Mbappe to do it. I mean, again, you're right, Jer. Step back and look at what's what's on on the line on Sunday. I mean, Mbappe has the chance to win two World Cups. He's what? What is he? Twenty three? Yeah. Is he even twenty three? I mean, that's staggering. Deschamps, first manager to win it twice. You know, the country themselves first ones to win it back to back since sixty. I mean. There's so much on riding on the game from for, for, for both countries. I think neutrals, um, and again, the romantics amongst us will be screaming for Messi. They want Messi to do it. Um, but, and, you know, going back to even the last World Cup, you know, watching Pogba, as a United fan, watching those videos ad nauseum of Pogba's speeches in the dressing room after and thinking, well, where does that does that disappear when he comes to Old Trafford? You know, where, where's that player? Um is there a lot of love generally for for the French team? I mean, they've had they've had a decent tournament. Griezmann's had a brilliant tournament. Um, you know, they've had some. They've, like not that they've had an easier path, but I think is is there general love for the French team? I don't know the finals. You, you bring up an interesting point about Mbappe, right? And but I don't know if everybody remembers Antoine Griezmann had like a a TV live decision about where he was going to go in the style <laughs> of a LeBron James, like, and it was this massive thing on the internet for twenty four hours. Where and then he announced he was just signing a new contract with Atletico Madrid. Like he yeah. didn't have a big reveal. At least when LeBron made the decision, it was like, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. It was like, oh, he's gone to Miami. That's going to be interesting. He was like, I've signed a new deal with my current employers. And the whole world had to stop and watch this. Like the, so there's definitely a strain of ego. Now, Griezmann's obviously backing it up at the moment with his performances. So, uh, no, There is, but there's also that thing, Jer, of, you know, of you talk about ego and all that. You know, I work in a business uh, where, where ego is... <laughs> It's it's alive and well, but but in my business, <clears throat> in terms of actors and that, you know, I've seen it. it, it it's it's not the person. It's it's the it's the cohort. It's the entourage around them. Like you, you know, did Griezmann sign up for that thing when someone said to him, "Do you know what we'll do? We'll do this thing where we do a big reveal." Like, how much is a player involved in decisions like that? The Alexis Sanchez re- reveal video for United, the piano thing. How much is the player involved in that? Like, does he go to his market people and said, "Lads, I have a great idea now for when I sign. I'm going to play a piano." Yeah, I mean, because I see it in terms of on set and, and groups around people, and <clears throat> you know. <clears throat> It just entourages. I mean, I wonder how much do you know? How much are the players responsible for things like that? And going back to Mbappe, that whole you know his contract, he didn't negotiate that contract. So I'm not slating him for saying, "Jesus, he demanded he shout and who's the manager and who's in and who's out." His his team, you know, negotiated that contract. His team 
you know, would have suggested this is what we're going to ask for. These are the clauses we're going to look for. Now, look, at the end of the day, Mbappe has to go, yeah, great idea, let's do that, or no, I'm yeah. taking a stand. But I'm just wondering how much is the individual, like when we point all this, not hatred, but this talk about, you know, Mbappe being everything's wrong with the modern game. He's the Instagram footballer. It's all that bullshit of, you know, stuff you see on the training ground. But that that's a marketing team around him. Like he doesn't wake up in the morning and go, lads, can we post a video of me of Nutmeg and Varane? And the, you know, it's, yeah, but he, uh, it's he backs spend. it up with performances is the other thing. You can, you well, can get away true. with it, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And we, we tolerate it because the performances are yeah. at such a high level. So uh, it's well set up. Oh, it is well set up. Just when you're talking about unveilings, the Santi Cazorla unveiling is the best one ever. I don't remember that one. You know, where he's like, uh, it's almost like a tube in the middle of the pitch. He signs with some European club and uh, there's all smoke in it and all of a sudden he's just standing there like that with his arms folded <laughs> and there's a lad doing all like what looks like magic in front Villa of him Villarreal I'm reliably Villarreal yeah it was yeah. madness look it up it's hilarious yeah I did like Sadie Cazorra I thought he was a great player he was a beautiful little left foot on him uh, right Simon you've been very good with your time I understand you have COVID as well so uh, you've been a trooper for us yes. this morning what are you working on at the moment are you allowed to tell us or is that all top secret yeah yeah no I'm, I've been filming a thing up in Belfast since October Jer. Um it's a new six part drama series for the BBC and uh, Showtime um, and we're, we're on our Christmas hiatus now as the Americans call us we're back on sale on the 3rd of January and we film right through to the end of February so that's going to hit the screens probably uh, October next year so yeah that's pretty much been been. and I'm lucky enough to get COVID the week I finish for Christmas so uh, I'm in currently in isolation Ward 2 in Delaney Towers here Swings and roundabouts a little bit uh, at least the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the telly is decent uh, at this time of year correct and 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 like, what's the name of the project? Are you? Is that? Yeah, no, it's 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 called The Woman in the Wall, and it uh, stars Ruth Wilson, who you know from Luther, Mrs. Wilson's War, and uh, the brilliant Daryl McCormick from Peaky Blinders, and then there's a great cast uh, cast of Irish actors that are making making up the ensemble. It's 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 a drama set in the west of Ireland in a fictional village in the west of Ireland. And it revolves around two murders, a murder down in that village and a murder in Dublin, and the two murders are uh, are connected. So, brilliantly written, <coughs> excuse me, by Joe Murta, um, <coughs> whose parents were from the West of Ireland. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're sort of halfway through that now, so we'll see the uh, results of that near the end of next year. Uh, fictional villages in the west of Ireland are so hot right now. That's your, your Derek Zoolander <laughs> moment. <laughs> that's it, yeah, that's it, yeah. So I'm trying my best west of Ireland accent now to be from County Mayo over that side, you know. There you go. The curse is <laughs> over. We, we were reliably informed this morning. That was news to me. <laughs> Simon, great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Best of luck. Cheers. My pleasure. Take care. Enjoy the final on Sunday, lads. You too. Thanks, Thanks a million. Uh, our thanks to Simon Delaney and Owen Coggan. Unfortunately, the line to Buenos Aires didn't um, re-establish itself uh, in good enough quality because he was guessing my questions and um, sometimes they were better than the original ones. So. I kind of thought at one stage that he was actually just trying to take the piss out of you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not sure that wasn't the case. I, you know, is he actually a knock? You just know, you just never know. No, you just you never, never know. You never do. Uh, right, so Bally Gunner going to win? Oh, just about. Just about. So Bally Gunner sent... Thomas's final, Bally Gunner Thomas's yeah, but I have this inst- you know then you get like a gut instinct that Ballyhale are gonna play even above themselves on I Sunday. Know, I know, I but uh, just we're just probably just gonna go on farm. I'd say two screens. You're gonna need two screens and the Camogie final, uh, Sarsfields against Lockheed. 
just about Sarsfields I'd say to do the back to back just an interesting one in Sarsfields as well there's five McGrath sisters involved their father is a manager their mother played hockey for Ireland as well good genes yeah good genes and next year the youngest sister Leisha who's 15 now will, will be eligible to play so there's potential for six of them to play wow. together that's Hopper McGrath of course of the legendary Galway team as well so yeah. right OTBAM live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day we've gone a, a bit later than usual but it's 9.35 back on Monday with our performance rankings Alan Quinn will be in to assess, assess the weekend's rugby which hopefully all of it gets uh, gets away plenty of World Cup reaction with Kevin Caban on the line and more as well OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 